Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back, everybody, to Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number 146. Uh, before I say anything else, and, you know, we're not going to go deep on this because I know people use wrestling podcasts as an escape and all that, but I, I have to say this right off the bat. Black Lives Matter, please donate, if you can, to bail funds. Uh, the Bro- I know the Brooklyn Bail Fund here in New York is actively seeking donations. I think it's the Brooklyn Community Bail Fund. So I should have looked that link up before I started. But uh, (laughs) definitely donate if you can. Please support people out there. Uh, It's brooklynbailfund.org. Brooklyn Community Bail Fund. That's one that's, uh, you know, definitely in need of donations. Uh, I just wanted to say that right off the the start here. Please donate. Please help people out. Black Lives Matter. Um, And that's all we're going to say about it. And then this week, our guest, my guest here is Chris. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, John. It's, you know, it's been a long time coming. And <laughs> I apologize for that very awkward intro, but I don't really, there's no good way to transition from uh, what this week has been mm-hmm. to professional wrestling, but we're going to try. We're going to try. That's totally valid. And actually, may I add, uh, while we're still sort of talking about that, I would recommend donating to the Minnesota Freedom Fund, um, Reclaim the Block, uh, the Black Visions Collective. Those are all like, th- there are a lot of like kind of shysters out there and frauds, but like those are all good ones where I think those can be like pretty heavily recommended. But, I thought one of them had enough already, right? One of them was telling people stop donating. Or yeah, one of them did, and I can't remember which, I think unfortunately. It's, I, I think it's like the Minneapolis Bail Fund. But yeah, so, might be. Yeah, so yeah. we're not we're not going to focus on that. We're not going to, you know. First of all, nobody needs to hear from me on that. But I just I would feel I would feel like a a fake if I didn't say that right off the bat. So that's all there is to it. Black Lives Matter, ACAB. Uh, let's 
talk about professional wrestling. Uh, you're, of course, the co-host of the Bad Wrestling Podcast. You're making your debut here on the Wrestling Omakase. Uh, I'm very happy to have you, Chris, after, like you said, a long time coming. Uh, how you doing? Uh, well, you know, it's... <laughs> It's still the quarantine, so you know I'm surviving. You know what I mean, which is all you can really ask for at this point. Yeah. But uh, wrestling slowing down has definitely it. It doesn't affect like the bad wrestling podcast that much because we're, we're kind of timeless. We jump everywhere, but like it has changed the way I consume wrestling pretty thoroughly. Like I mean, there, there's just nothing now, and I'm good or bad. It's it's just nothing <laughs> i don't know there's definitely some bad stuff did you see that the opening of smackdown this week <laughs> i have heard about the opening of smackdown and i uh, i'm glad that someone's keeping that court bauer spirit alive <laughs> where like you know the uh the penta and phoenix getting arrested by ice angle from a couple of years ago like someone was like well, let's top that a little bit. uh yeah there's like it, it's it's only like six minutes so i highly recommend it it's like uh I retweeted it last night, so if you go on my Twitter feed, you'll see it. It's like, but the SmackDown on Fox people put the entire angle up, and it's something. I mean, it's like, it's six minutes of, like, sub-porn-level acting with the the two worst fake cops you've ever seen uh, arresting Jeff Hardy, because Jeff Hardy apparently got drunk and ran over Elias. That's, that's how SmackDown opened. SmackDown opened outside the Performance Center with Elias on the fucking ground, getting medical attention. They thought, this week of all weeks, it's like, you know what would be great? A fucking DUI angle with cops leading Jeff Hardy off in handcuffs. It's like, one of those things where it's like on multiple levels. It's like, offensive because you're making light of Jeff Hardy's real life issues. Offensive because you decided this was the week to do an arrest angle of all fucking weeks. Uh, Offensive because it's just very bad and like, the police and, uh, you know, everybody involved can't act. I mean, just what exactly the positive of this was supposed to be, I don't know, other than the fact that uh, people are talking about it, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. It's really something. This also has one of my favorite Vince McMahon back against the wall sort of uh, uh, bugbears, I guess, which is um, someone is lying about doing something. In this case, the the DUI was masterminded by Seamus, from what I can tell. Oh, really? and, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Jeff, Jar- Jeff Hardy was not actually drunk, which is right in line with the classic, like, I think he's done multiple angles where, like, a woman wrestler uh, miscarries, and then it turns out they're lying about being pregnant. So, like, this is just, like, a Wait a thing second. Uh, can, we, can we back up? So, it's a fake DUI angle? I didn't even... I sincerely did not know this part of it. So, yes. Yeah, so, uh, the implication seems to be that Jeff Hardy was assaulted and thrown into the bushes, and Sheamus actually ran down Elias to make it look like Jeff Hardy fell off the wagon... <laughs> And ran over Elias, which is significantly more insane. <laughs> but wait a second. Then how... Okay, so I guess he also dumped liquor on him. Because, like, during that segment, one of the cops goes... And this is one of the funniest lines of the entire thing. He goes, he smells like the bottle in the car. And it's like, first of all, you can't just say he smells like alcohol. He smells like the bottle in the car. And I'm like, What? So I guess Seamus also dumped booze on him? I don't He's know. very thorough, you know. What the... This is the, one of the weirdest and craziest angles they've ran in a very long time. Uh, I, I, I don't... I'm just trying to find the words for it here. I mean, it's really something. 
I don't... There are long stretches where I think people are lulled into a false sense of security about them just being boring and bad, and then they'll occasionally drop something like this where it's like, oh yeah, he still has the fastball, you know, he's like in his <laughs> 70s at this point, but he'll throw he's... a fake DUI, I'm glad you, he'll keep you on your toes. He's still out of his mind. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I just... It was something. So, yes, there is still bad wrestling happening <laughs> during this uh, fucking pandemic. Uh, you know, unfortunately, there isn't a lot of good wrestling happening. So, yeah. um, I, it looks like... So, basically, what, I, what it sounds like in, um, as far as, like, when Japanese wrestling will be back. Um, one thing to watch is Cork and Hall, which has obviously been closed. And they, just this morning, basically put out a statement that said, you know, regardless of the government timelines which have been accelerating in Tokyo like a little bit. Like, they, they're doing Phase 2 like a week early, I think, because they've had so few cases, which is both, uh, I guess, promising and also scary. I don't I mean, it's kind of both. Yeah. But, That's but... kind of my feeling on any reopening at this point. <laughs> where it's like, there's a little bit of trepidation, but, like, no cases is good, right? Yeah, or very, very few. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but like they're saying, so Corken Hall is saying June 15th is when they'll be open for no fan shows. And then July 10th is the earliest they'll be open for fans, which kind of is a little bit more delayed than the the actual Tokyo timeline looks right now. I think July 1st, they're saying you'll be able to have like events with up to 50% capacity, up to 1,000 people. So they're going to wait a little longer, maybe, which maybe isn't uh, unwise, honestly. But yeah, it I kind of goes with where, where, where I've, like what my priors on this are, where I think you'll probably see shows with fans. Maybe some promotions try to do it in very tiny venues in June, but I think like your New Japans and your, your bigger companies aren't going to try it until July. That's what I think. But yeah. obviously, if this all goes downhill very fast, uh, they won't be trying it in July either. But, um, you know, we're definitely going to be preparing here to lot to get back to covering you know current wrestling once uh you know once these shows start running with fans again i just find like i've said a million times in the show i find the empty arena shows very uninteresting and boring to watch let alone to cover so we haven't been doing that but that's a transition into the big thing i have to plug this week which is the beginning of the wrestling omakase patreon which i've talked about a few times uh it's very exciting it's launching on Monday, June 1st. So I don't know exactly when this episode will drop. Sometimes it drops the same day and sometimes it drops the following day. It just kind of depends on whenever Rich and Joe feel like uploading it. But this episode should be either Saturday or Sunday. And that means it'll either be like a day or two before the official launch. So the Patreon, uh, which I definitely want. You know, I want as many of you to sign up as possible. Please come along with me on this journey. It's going to be so much fun. Um, it's patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. And the stuff you're going to get on there, first of all, you're going to get two full episodes of omakase per month that are absolutely exclusive to the Patreon account. Um, what this will mean in June is I have two really awesome guests lined up for five matches episodes that, you know, you're only going to be able to get on the Patreon account. Uh, that's Alan Farrell, of course, of the PW Torch, and Rich Krage of the Voice of the Wrestling Flagship. Those episodes will be exclusive to the Patreon, so the only way you'll be able to hear them is by going to patreon.com slash wrestling, wrestling omakase and signing up. Um, in the future, 
as we transition, we'll, we'll be transitioning back to covering uh, current wrestling here on the free podcast, which, to be clear, the free podcast is going to continue every week on the Voice Wrestling Network. There's not going to be any change with that. But, you know, we'll be doing less five matches episodes, and we'll be doing more current wrestling. So I've heard a lot of positive feedback of the five matches episodes, if people really like that. Eventually, pretty much the only place to find it will be on the Patreon. We'll be focusing on the five matches episodes on the Patreon. Um, we might do like some other stuff on the Patreon, like other historical episodes and drafts, maybe. But the Patreon will be the main place to get your five matches episodes slash your historical content. Whereas the real, you know, the the free feed on Voice of Wrestling, the one you're listening to right now, will eventually focus more on current wrestling as there's more current wrestling to cover. Um, so that's the main thing. You'll get at least two. And I'm, I'm trying to set, like, minimums I know I can hit every single month. But, you know, many months you'll get more than that. But at least two episodes, full, complete episodes of Omakase. They'll be numbered just like this one. So um, I believe the Allen episode will be number 148 and the Rich episode will be 150. So you'll see on the main feed, like, you'll, there'll be an episode missing. And that's because it's on the Patreon. So that's the main benefit. But it's not the only benefit because you're also going to get a new series that I'm starting called One Match, which is basically the idea of that is, um, you know, instead of having these five match episodes, it'll just be me on the one match episodes, and there'll be, like, these smaller, like, bite-sized episodes that you can listen to very quickly. Um, each one will probably be about 15 to 20 minutes is what I'm thinking. Um, you know, maybe they'll be longer when I actually sit down and do them. Maybe they'll be shorter. But the one match episodes will basically... My focus is going to be following along a series of matches, so I can tell you right now the very first one we're going to do, and the first episode will be up on Monday when the Patreon launches. We're going to do all the Okada Tanahashi matches in order, which, you know, I, I kind of wanted to sit down and watch them all again and just see if the ranking, uh, you know, watching them now matches the ranking in my head. So I figured I might as well make a series out of it and, you know, kind of follow along as we go. Uh, so that will start, you know, right away on Monday. We're, I'm guaranteeing at least one per week, uh, you know, four per month. But I already know, especially in June, you're going to get more than more than that, you know, more than that minimum. Um, you know, I already have one in the can. I'm going to do another one this week. And, you know, those are going to be, I think, and they're going to end up being a lot more than four a month, most months. But four seems like a, you know, a, a safe minimum to set. Um and the final thing that's going to be on there, actually not even the final thing, the final regular thing that's going to be on there is Anime Omakase, which is something I almost launched on the free feed. Uh, it's actually a long story as to why I didn't launch on the free feed, which I get into on the first episode that we already recorded. But basically, at least one per month, uh, I think very many months, probably more than one per month, we're going to do, if you like the anime talk that's at the start of a lot of episodes, which a lot of people have said they do, we're going to do a podcast that's entirely on anime, um, whether it's on a TV show or a movie or like a topic like your favorite shows of 2020 or whatever. Uh, anime Omakase, all anime, all the time. And we already recorded the first one. It's a little shorter than Wrestling Omakase. It was about 45 minutes. But, uh, you know, I, I had a guest on. Uh, me and my girlfriend Nicole talked about the movie Nausicaa the Valley of the Wind which is the considered the first Studio Ghibli movie so that's already recorded in the can and ready to go on Monday so you know we're going to we're going to be bringing you you know probably more than one a month but at least one a month so you're getting every month at least two episodes of Omakase 
full Wrestling Omikaze episodes, at least four one-match episodes, at least one anime omakase, probably more than that. And then on top of that, you're also going to get daily tournament coverage during tournaments, uh, very similar to what Joe does on the Voice of Wrestling flagship Patreon, where during the G1 Climax, the Champion Carnival, or the DO, those are the three I'm identifying right away that I'm definitely going to do. Probably some more other some other ones too, but those are like the three I'm, I for sure plan to do this year. Um, you know, you'll get daily coverage of the tournament. So the tournament show happens, I'm going to watch it right away, and then record audio on it. It might just be me, it might be me and a guest, we'll see. Uh, I know in the past uh, people were interested in doing the DO with me, so... Um, you know, we almost launched an Omakase Patreon just to cover the DO. So, you know, that that's definitely one of the things I want to do with that Patreon when it launches. So, you got to get that. The bonus daily tournament coverage during uh, Japanese wrestling tournaments. So, that's pretty much it. That's the Wrestling Omakase Patreon. I hope you'll come along with me. I promise the plugs won't be this long every week. But um, <laughs> I definitely want to just pitch everything that we're going to be doing. It's going to be a ton of content. Only $5 a month. So everything I listed, there's no multiple tiers. There's no fucking bullshit. You give me 5 bucks a month, you get everything I just said. You get two full episodes of Wrestling Omikaze. You get all four episodes of one match or more. You get, uh, you know, at least one anime Omikaze. So it's patreon.com slash wrestling omikaze. Uh, you know, I'm very excited about the fact that I'll be able to pay my guests that come on the Patreon which, you know, unfortunately I'm not able to do right now with the lack of, uh, you know, I, I, nobody gets paid for that. I don't get paid for this, so, you know, I can't pay anybody if I don't get paid. But the Patreon, labor of love. <laughs> labor of love, exactly. But the Patreon, you know, I can tell you right now, anytime a guest is on the Patreon, we'll be able to pay them. You know, the more subscribers we get, the more we'll be able to pay them. So I'm very excited about that. So patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. Uh, it will launch on Monday, June 1st. Please sign up. Please come along with me on this journey. We're going to have so much fun. That's my big pitch. All right. Are you guys thinking of doing a bad wrestling podcast, Patreon? I must. I imagine you must have thought of it. Uh, I, I've never seriously thought about it. I'm I'm just doing it for the love right now. You know what I mean? It's like it, eventually, you know, if, if that comes, it comes. But, like, right now, there's, there's no plans. It's also, I think it's because both me and Kevin just don't want to do the extra work, <laughs> <laughs> which is like, that's like the real secret thing. Like I could, yeah. I could dress it up as some kind of like, oh, you know, we're not doing it for the money. But like the reality is like, I don't want to record a fucking second episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I went on and off on this forever. And it's like, it always comes down to like, I always feel like uh, I could do more audio than what I'm doing just one episode a week. But it's like. You know, this this already takes a lot of time to prepare and watch the stuff and then record every week. And it's like, you know, adding more stuff for free just kind of feels like, eh, <laughs> like maybe I should Yeah, at a certain point, it's like taking over your life <laughs> yeah. for no, you, you need something to balance that out. Yeah. So, yeah. so, and then plus, like I said, being able to pay the guests would be really cool. So I hope, I hope, mm-hmm. I hope people come along. I hope people check it out. I know that the first anime omakase that we recorded was a lot of fun. Uh, Nicole and I had a lot of fun doing it and I think the one match series with Okada and Tanahashi will be a lot of fun and you know I know Alan and Rich will be great guests on the you know the first Patreon exclusive Omakase episodes oh the other thing by the way about the five match episodes is the if you want to if you sign up the voting will only be open to you for those episodes so because Patreon lets you do a poll 
uh, you'll get to pick uh. the fifth match poll. So, <laughs> for instance, uh, nobody will be able to quote tweet and run away with anything by encouraging <laughs> people to vote. It'll, it'll only be paid subscribers that get to do that. But yeah, so if you're if you pay to sign up, you'll get to you know not only we get to listen to the Allen episode and the Rich episode. I mean, you'll get to have your say on what match we cover. So it'll be <laughs> it'll be a lot more difficult for like Eugene to slip into these uh, these episodes. I don't know. Maybe the pay maybe the paid subscribers will love Eugene. You don't know. <laughs> They're just huge fans of the work of Nick Dinsmore. Yeah. So, so uh, but yeah, so that'll be, I mean, that'll only be on the Patreon episodes to be clear. So like the, the episodes that are not on Patreon, like, you know, the next free episode I'm doing next week with Brandon Thurston, I mean, you're still going to get to vote on the Twitter feed. So the, the free episodes you'll, as long, as long as you have five match episodes on the free feed, you can vote on the Twitter like normal, the Patreon episodes, you have to be signed up and then you can vote on Patreon. See, hopefully that makes sense. Anyway, so I, yeah. <laughs> this plug went on forever. So uh, I'm just—I I promise it will not go that long every week. But uh, definitely check it out. Right, Patreon.com/slash wrestling wrestling omakase launching on Monday. It's uh, if you don't know how to spell the podcast you're listening to for some reason, it's O M A K A S E. So Chris, now that we've now that I've wasted so much time <laughs> with this plug, what else? Uh, what have, what have you been up to during your quarantine? Have you been? Uh, you know, doing okay? Uh, well, I mean, you know, okay is relative. I, I've been watching a lot of movies. I've, like, honestly, I haven't been watching as much old wrestling as I usually do. I've been doing that. I've been playing video games a lot. Like, I'm, I've basically just, like, regressed. You know, like, I, we, we've all regressed a little bit. But, like, I'm, like, definitely, like, living like I was when I was, like, 15 or something. Oh. Or I'm just, like, like, you know, playing these... I, I, I don't want to rehash something that Oakin brought up on his episode. But, like, I've... Uh, I've been playing a lot of Yakuza. Like that's something I've been doing. So you oh, know, yeah. like that's which which one are you on? <laughs> um, I actually just started six. So oh, yeah. um, yeah, five was uh, uh, it's an intensive experience. I think it might have been too long actually, <laughs> at, because that's like five characters, five cities. So it's just like you gotta. There's a large chunk of time you gotta set aside for that, and it went a lot of cool places. But I'm I'm about ready to go to six and like wrap this up for. You know, for now, I guess there's a new one coming out. Yeah. There's a I, I I played through all of Zero. I was playing Kiwami, and then I kind of I've like left it for like a week. I guess I got a little burnt out. I'll probably pick it back up, but I I got really into the new TEW, so I was doing the the fucking speaking of speaking of regressing. This is basically <laughs> me as like an 18 year old just fucking fancy booking bullshit. I am curious as to how that is because I've been playing uh, EWR 4.2 again, which is at this point a 16 year old game. Yeah. So, the new one I'm kind of intrigued by. Like, how how is it? I, it's, I mean, it's it's very deep. Obviously, if you're used to EWR, yeah. um, I I don't find it that different from TW 16. The the new mm-hmm. features are more like little tweaks to me than anything. But the the new feature I appreciate the most is they finally have like in game support for your tournaments. So, like, you can make a tournament or even a G1-style league, and it'll keep track in the game. I mean, it's That's very... Really cool. Yeah, it's very superficial, but, like, it just having... Uh, like, putting in the names and then having a fucking, like, tournament or, like, league table with, like, you know, where it keeps track of the wins and losses automatically is very cool. So, that's definitely a... a I mean, favorite. having to have that stuff separately in, like, a notes, you know, like, <laughs> in a notepad file or something, or 
they have little notes happening if you are but like mm. that was always a little more pain than it was worth like even setting up as simple as like just a single elimination tournament it was always a little more trouble than it should have been especially like when you're doing something like a g1 that's just it's a nightmare oh i mean you, so I, I i still have to bring out the excel sheet and book it like that but like at least to keep track <laughs> of it as you go but yeah that's what that's why i haven't played that in a couple of days because it's like i'm up to another fucking league and i'm just like I don't feel like booking this all out in cell. <laughs> it's so fucking complicated. It starts to feel like one of those things where it's like, wow, this is a lot of work for a fake thing that only I will ever see or do. It's like, what are you doing with your life, John? But I, I think that's why I'm a little scared to do uh, <laughs> TEW because, like, EWR, like, just getting back into it. I had downloaded a stat pack based on 04 WWE because I was talking to Kevin and I was like, I want to see what it was like if Eugene was the champ. So I downloaded <laughs> the game and I downloaded a stat update. And then, like, within like a month of booking it, I got bored and like changed the risk level to 100 and started running like full deathmatch shows and got thrown off on my networks. And, like, at this point, like, WWE is like, it, it's a com- like I, I think Zandig is like the top pushed guy right now. Um, D- John Cena left because he was mad at his booking. Like it's a nightmare promotion, and I'm like, if this was too detailed, I could really get into this and kind of waste what's left of my quarantine until they throw me back into work. <laughs> but like, I, I'm like, I'm almost afraid because there's so much more detail in like the the last like several games that uh, Ryland was putting out. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, in a lot of ways, there's like probably too much detail, but you can you anyway. can also you can also adjust some of it though. So it's not like you have to dig into mm-hmm. some of it if you don't want to. But yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, it takes a long time to set up, I guess, and maybe it's just me because like these data sets are so bad that I have, and I'm like such a nerd uh, that, yeah. that I feel the need to go in and edit everybody. It's like ah yes. Uh, I don't know. I'm just going to give a random example. I don't even know if it's true or not. Hiroki Goto, very bad at the Puro stat. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Famously bad at Japanese wrestling, Hiroki Goto. <laughs> so I had like there's like shit like that where you was just like I don't even know what you're watching to have these stats that I have to like adjust. But uh, and- you you always run the risk with people who make these data sets. Like you're at the mercy of their taste a little bit, and it's always some of these people you know no disrespect have really shitty taste and like yeah. it doesn't make any sense so you end up having to fuck around with things yourself and that takes hours and then eventually it's just like i don't know if goto's that bad so there's there's so many of these days the that, tw ones oh, out but like here's the, like that was completely believable to me there's so many of these no, stats, no, no, there's so many of these stats where like uh i i don't know how to say this i'm like are, are you do you go to like white power marches when you're not doing tew like i don't like there's so many stat sets where like the white people are so over, like over uh powered i guess is the only way to put it and the stats compared to everybody else i'm just like what is going on like what are we doing here but sure oh flip uh, gordon's one of the best in the world it's like, oh, it's okay. Like, okay all right uh but i guess let's get into our five matches now uh the very first one that you picked, so you're going to have to explain to me why you picked this match, I guess, is Carlos Colon and Invader Number 1 versus the Sheep Herders of Butch Miller and Luke Williams from WWC in Puerto Rico, 12-21-85. I believe this is only the second match of the series that took place before I was born, so I haven't done a lot of pre-86 wrestling here, but uh, I guess why'd you pick this one, and 
what you what made you want to pick it for this show or for me or for whatever <laughs> all right so i i'm someone who does a lot of um I, i'm a big random stip matches on youtube person which is i uh, it's a burden i guess and puerto rico is one of those it's really well documented on YouTube for some reason. I'm like an expert on Puerto Rico. Like there's a lot of other people who have come through this show who I would probably defer to on that. But like this match in particular, they had one match before and I think they have another after, but this one is an ambulance match and um, it is an ambulance match in probably the loosest sense of the word. I, I think... was going to say, I for- I completely forgot it was an ambulance match until the very fucking end of the match. <laughs> Like, I totally, I, I was like, oh, is this a tornado tag or something? They're just beating each other up all over the place. And then the ambulance shows up. I'm like, oh, yeah, this was a quote-unquote ambulance match. <laughs> John, I have seen this match probably seven or eight times, and I can tell you I still have trouble following this and figuring out what's going on in the middle stretch of this and what they are building towards. This is This is one of the most purely chaotic matches I've ever seen. I think that's probably what eventually led me to bring it because I was like, I've never really seen anything quite like this match. Um, it is uh, what some would call a victim match, where uh, much of it is uh, Luke, but, oh, who would become Bushwhacker Luke, getting slaughtered in the middle of the ring by Invader One and Carlos Colon. And Actually, yes, that's a great uh, point. Also, I totally, we, I totally forgot to mention the sheep herders are the Bushwhackers. So people don't know that, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the yeah the Bushwhackers. Yes, this is their their past. Los Pastores. They uh, you know very violent brawlers in Puerto Rico. Um, I think there was recently an episode on this very podcast network talking about the the UWF tag titles, and I believe oh, they that might... was on the the Voice Wrestling Patreon. I think actually, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and I think the the I don't know if it's this incarnation of the Sheep Herders, but an incarnation cuts through while these guys are in Puerto Rico doing shit like this, and um. This match, it, it's, I don't know, it's on my mind a lot for some reason. It's, uh, I, I'm trying to even, like, consider how I would break this down, because it's a very difficult match to break down. I mean, it, like, opens, it, 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 it opens with them just hitting each other inside and outside the ring. Uh, <laughs> one of the sheep herders chokes somebody with a rope. And this is where I, I was like, I don't know if this is a tornado tag or what, because they're both just paired off. And then my my exact note says, I really don't know what I'm even watching here. It's just both teams slowly punching and elbowing each other mixed in with some occasional choking. And then they start using weapons before they head to like a commercial break. And including, I couldn't figure out what one of these weapons was. I hope If you know, let me know. Because it looked like a big ashtray or something, but I don't think it was an ashtray. I, like one of them was clearly using a chair, but what the other yes. weapon was, I have no idea. You're talking about the third thing. Because one is also using a coal miner's glove. That yeah, the well, that other guy, the other guy, the who who the fuck is that? Do you do you have any idea? I I am. I'm not gonna lie to you. I have no clue who the fuck. <laughs> is. A, well, yeah. So this this is even before the other guy comes out. I think like there's a yeah yeah yeah. He has like a, something that looks there's, like a big ashtray, but I don't, I don't think it's an ashtray. But that's that's what it looks yeah. Like. At one point, a fan is fucking up Butch, like, uh, before the other guy involved in the match appears. Um, th- again, this is pure chaos, so for- forgive me for not, uh, you know, doing a full play-by-play here. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, right when the commercial break appears, in particular, is uh, the period where this becomes an, an avant-garde brawl of such. <laughs> you just... It's very, very difficult to figure out what's going on because there's a crowd brawl that occurs, 
and then one sheep herder essentially disappears and never comes back. Okay, I, uh-huh. I didn't even pick up on that, so that should tell you. Yeah. I did not notice that there's a, a sheep herder just vanishes into the ether, so that's it. <laughs> yeah, Butch is not around for the last, like, five, six minutes of this, and then it becomes a pure evil pro match where, like, I think Invader 1 and Carlos Colon are just in the ring, just fucking up Luke, and the fans are going nuts for this. There's a ref stoppage that happens, but then they just kind of keep going. I, like, I will be honest when the when the guy with the gardener's glove came in and started beating on the sheep herder. This is where I checked the time, and I you know, I was somehow less than six minutes, and I was like, "How is that possible?" It felt like I had been watching them slowly beat each other up for like a hundred minutes. <laughs> I was like, "What the fuck?" Uh, but yeah, and then there's like a long period where they're all in the crowd, and we literally we literally cannot see anything but the crowd. Like that's all you can see. And then they cut back to the ring, and the gardener glove guy is just going insane on one of the sheep herders. I would love to know. I wrote down gardener glove. I guess it's actually a coal miner's glove. It looks like yeah, he, yeah. it looks like he's fucking going to plant some goddamn bushes or something. Like that's what it looks like. <laughs> and he has his fucking glove, and he's just going insane. I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? Who is this man? Why is he flipping out? Why does he have a glove? Why is he beating the shit out of this other guy? Uh. And then the two of them, like, you know, obviously Carlos Cologne and Invader come back, and they're also beating on the sheep herder. And this is where I guess, you know, like you said, the referee covers them with his body for some reason, and they pull the ref off and continue beating him. And I guess this is the fake stoppage. And- yeah, because Invader 1 just throws the ref out of the ring and continues the beating, which is surely the least ethical thing Invader 1 has ever done. Yeah, for sure. We haven't even mentioned this. He but- fucking murdered somebody. So a true <laughs> evil pro match here. This is the second, the second murderer, I guess, featured on this show. But uh, I was going to say Benoit was on one of the early ones. Yeah, right? Benoit was on one of the early Oh, Benoit's been on twice, I think. So, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of representation for Benoit. Uh, but yeah, so like, then I was like, oh, I forgot this was an ambulance match because they roll an ambulance out. They put a sheep herder in it, which makes it even weirder. The referee had been trying to stop it, and then lots of fans are like all around the ambulance, so it's impossible to tell what's going on again. And then it ends. So yeah, the last stretch of this where the fans, the fans are going insane and they're loading Luke away and Carlos and invader one, just sit on the top rope and just watch him being loaded away. But then Carlos puts the glove on and jumps off the top and just starts beating the shit out of him again. <laughs> and then Luke gets loaded into the ambulance, which you can't see because there's so many fans getting hype. This is like, again, like I've never seen a match that feels like that. Like it feels like everything is teetering on the edge at all times. And like, it's like, maybe this is, this was not intended to be topical, but like, it feels like a riot is occurring in a wrestling context at all. Like it's, mm-hmm. I, I've just never seen something. It is, it is pretty like crazy. This. It is pretty crazy. Uh, it was horrible though, Chris, and it's definitely <laughs> the worst <laughs> professional wrestling match in this series and probably ever discussed on the show. Uh, I, but it's not one that I regret watching. It's definitely not uninteresting, but it is horrible. <laughs> it, is, it is really bad. See, I love this shit. And that's the thing. Like, I kind of expected where I was like, I'm going to bring this. And this is mostly walk and brawling and violence where I'm like, John, there's a good chance. After I sent this link, I was like, there's a good chance John is going to hate this. So I'm like, this will at least give something because like, there is something for me, like, weirdly... It's like ASMR, where I'm watching dudes fuck each other up in slow motion. But also, like... <laughs> it each other up in pretty much slow motion. See, so. I don't I don't hate 
I mean, I don't think I'm a, someone who hates brawls. There's plenty of brawls that I really like, but this right. just was not. This was not a good brawl. This was just. <laughs> I couldn't even see what was going on most of the time. It was pretty horrible. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those things, you know, where. I think the crowd energy in this match really brings it up for me. Where like, if if you want to talk about moves, like I don't know if there's a single move done in this. Um, there are there are no there are no moves. Yeah, I I, yes. I don't think they ever do a move. They, there's like just punching and elbowing and choking. I think that's the entire offense. That's it. Like, <laughs> and for me, a big part of why wrestling works for me is its energy, and um, I. <laughs> So like shit like this and like I it can be literal to nothing happening in the ring, but if the crowd's like really going crazy or something, I will get into it. And also if it's disreputable in some way, which this match very much is, I can I can watch this kind of shit for hours, but also like they're not doing shit in terms yeah. of moves. That's the thing. So I like I'm I was like I sent this over and I was like, this reaction, it's probably not gonna be good, but like I'm I'm always intrigued showing this kind of match to somebody because it's you don't get matches that feel like this in possibly anywhere anymore which uh well there's nobody there's nobody that care well there's no fans that care enough at this point to get this kind of like nobody's actually angry at heels the way these fans right. actually hated the bushwhackers so you're never going to get that kind of reaction anymore that's pretty much yeah it. yeah because yeah. like i think of the the closest equivalent i guess would be like lucha brawls the last few years and like even when those get wild like i think of like the really hyped like roosh park stuff from a few years ago like there's never really a sense of pure like danger in those matches it's just like here are some guys hitting each other with uh you know the buckets that look like they're filled with jizz yeah. and like beer, beer koozies and shit. Well, the fans, but it doesn't feel dangerous. And the, the yeah. fans don't want to get at Roosh is the thing. Like nobody was at That's nobody it. in those yeah. matches was like whereas here these fans I f- fully believe want to like kill these bushwhackers so Yeah uh, like I don't want to sound like, like you know like fucking Jim Cornette or something <laughs> where it's like you know like uh you know they had hate every night or whatever the fuck <laughs> but like this like th- th- there is real bloodlust in the air for these these <laughs> these the sheep herders yeah. who again like i grew up with them you know they're, they're the guys who lick people's heads <laughs> so like it adds it adds like a second funny layer to just watch this kind of thing but uh yeah. i've, <laughs> I've seen like, them before like in before pre-wwe and they were they were like a weirdly like serious heel team so it, it makes it, it's even weirder that they then became these comedy mm-hmm. figures i guess but they're kind of like, like less movesy briscoes or something and yeah. it's so weird like what the shift was when they got signed yeah but hey they made a lot of money i guess so yeah. that's that's the rationale there but, uh, so anyway. there, you go. there you go so let's move over to my first pick which was shuji mm-hmm. ishikawa versus kashisada higuchi from ddt on september 25th of 2016 um this is a match i that i absolutely love that i haven't seen in forever and I wanted to do a Puro match without doing New Japan again, since we did we did a lot of New Japan last week. So I definitely wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, give a week off from that. But, uh, you know, and if I remembered correctly, they just beat each other's asses. So I figured you would like that. But, um, you know, so that's pretty much why I picked it. And I have to give a huge shout out to uh, my boy Andy Labar, who uploaded this for me after, first of all, Wrestle Universe didn't have it. Uh, and then I couldn't find it anywhere. Like even the RuTube link got taken down. So Andy happened to have a copy and like upload it to YouTube, which is uh, 
you know, why there's a YouTube link here. So shout out to Andy. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What did you, was this your first time seeing this, I guess, first of all? And then what'd you think of it? It was. So, uh, Shuji Shinkawa, I'm familiar with from all Japan, but DDT, and it's weird because I have a lot of friends who swear by DDT and love DDT, but they've loved hate relationships. DDT is largely a blind spot for me. So I have seen, there's the possibility I've seen Higuchi matches before, but like, he's like not a guy I know almost anything about. And I know that they had matches later, like, cause when you had first mentioned this, I like just was like, let me just search for it. I forgot you sent a link. And I found one from like 2018 or something and which I didn't watch, but they, they've had a series. Is that correct? Sort of. Yeah. I mean, Shuji like kind of left DT after this. So mm-hmm. they haven't, rest- yeah. I think they've only wrestled like one or two more times, but, uh, but yeah, this is definitely the best one they did. I think. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, that's, I guess my, my overall takeaway is that this match, uh, fucking ruled. <laughs> yeah. I love this. <laughs> I yeah like Shuji like as soon as you sent me Shuji Shikawa match I was like okay this is gonna be am I still going to react to this the way I would have when because this is from 2016 right yeah so uh, like then I definitely would have loved this but like after a few years of for lack of a better term like beef matches becoming normalized um I was like well this still resonate with me because so much has been done since of like big guys slapping each other matches for like a better term and there's a lot of that in this but all of it still resonated with me like i fucking adored this yeah (laughs) i was going crazy this match i will say i my reaction when i watched it back was a little surprising to me where like there were portions of it that were a little more boring than I remembered. Uh, like, there's a long middle portion with Suji, like, working him over, including a chin lock that's, like, a little more dull than I remembered. But the stuff in mm-hmm. this match that kicks ass, like, really kicks ass. Like, you know, Suji, when he starts just beating his ass with elbows against the ropes, like, during, which really picks up the heat segment, that was really awesome. Um, and then those fucking headbutts. Those you don't see anymore. Uh-huh. Probably, <laughs> probably for good reason. But they really like put this like the violence here over the top. I mean, they, like Shuji does these top rope headbutts when they're both on the top rope, and then at least like this double arm superplex off the top, and then followed by this gigantic running lariat in the corner, which is probably like the coolest spot, one of the coolest spots in the match. Um, and then like towards the end, like where they they start slapping each other. Uh, you know, and then they really like uh, start going in on the headbutt. So basically, well, before that, they trade lariats, and like Higuchi does this huge German suplex, and the look on Shuji's face during that is so great. Like, he just looks like, oh shit. Uh, but then he no sells it. He hits his own enormous backdrop, and then Higuchi no sells that, puts him down the giant lariat. That was like classic, like awesome Puro shit. Um, and then the, the really famous sequence that I remember, which. Uh, came much later than I remembered it, honestly, was them just slapping the motherfucking shit out of each other, and that fucking owns. And then Higuchi, you know, hits this, like, giant doctor bomb for, like, a really good near fall. And then they start the truly ridiculous headbutts, where, you know, Ishikawa hits this, like, pulling in headbutt, basically, where, like, drags him over, which the announcer calls a Raymaker headbutt, which I thought was kind of (laughs) cool. And then Higuchi fires back with his own headbutts, and the he- they look really, really sick. And then Shuji finally, like, hits this big knee and the giant driver for the pin. Um, yeah, this just goes... That, all that stuff at the end just goes so fucking hard. And I, and I still had the same reaction that I did four years ago, you know, when, when watching all that crazy yeah. shit. Like, it's very easy to mark out for that. 
that's it yeah like because there's a little there is a little bit of table setting in this match and that is true and like the, the, the see the chin lock wasn't that egregious to me and that might be just because i'm so starved for wrestling with people at this point where i'm like even working over like i'm like love it love, like my critical faculties are just completely broken now so i'm just like yeah i fucking adore this i love this i love that but when shuchi locks in higuchi's legs and then locks the arms and pulls forward and just keeps headbutting him in the face over and over i'm like yeah this is what it's this is fucking what it's all about <laughs> like i was going crazy you know like i have like i'm sitting in my living room my girlfriend has like police footage on from the you know uh you know the the protests going on on you know her laptop and the other tv i'm watching one man headbutt another man repeatedly in a ring and i'm just like everything is happening to me right now <laughs> i love it it's a good way to put you know, it like it's, it was. Just, Is that her laughing in the background? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a small apartment, um, but uh, you know, like it's such simple things that were making me go. Nuts. So again, I don't know much about Higuchi, and he just came off like such a smug prick in this match. Like it, it was like a father like chastising his son or something, slapping the shit out of Higuchi half the time because he. I don't know. Like what? What is the backstory of this match? If you can, there is no real backstory. I mean, Higuchi is. Higuchi is like the ace of the uh, DDT young person sub-brand, which is DNA, <laughs> DDT New Attitude. And this is just like him stepping up and challenging Ishikawa. There's really, there's really no other backstory to it. I mean, okay. for, it's for the KOD title. So like that's pretty much it. Like he's just getting his... This is like his first big title shot. And everybody kind of knew he had no chance. But, you know, he was just kind of trying to step up and get to another level. Which he still hasn't really gotten to to this day, by the way. So that's a shame because he comes off like such a huge star in this match yes <laughs> and he then follows that up by doing nothing for many years which is very very weird and i, I mean you could put that as much on det's booking as on him but you know i do think he also like never really lived up to the standard of this match again which is a kind of interesting but in the last few months he's they've kind of started to try to rehab him i mean he has his own unit now uh eruption with Saki Akai and uh, oh god, why am I blanking? The uh, Yukio Sakaguchi. <laughs> I don't know why mm-hmm. I suddenly blanked on Sakaguchi. But yeah, Saki Akai and Yukio Sakaguchi, and you know the the unit is clearly designed to be like his thing. And but then at the same token, like everybody thought they were building him up to maybe the one to beat Masao Janaka, and they just had him lose his contract, his uh, title shot to Tetsuya Endo. So it's like oh, okay, <laughs> it's very weird. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess well, I I don't I don't know if they're ever gonna. I mean, Higuchi, I I like him in DDT, and I think he, you know, I think people, the the knee jerk reaction of get Higuchi out of DDT from non DDT fans is a little silly. But in the same token, it is true that he doesn't. It's true that he doesn't connect with DDT fans on the level you might expect him to if you're paying attention from the outside. I'm not convinced that's not just because like he doesn't have that like star quality i don't i don't know i don't know if he would be like a top level main event star anywhere i think he might just be like a classic like upper mid card kind of like kind of guy but i don't know that's not nothing though yeah like that's, I mean, that's that really isn't the well, worst well people act, people act like it is now and it's like well you know not not everybody's gonna be the fucking top guy i don't know what to tell you i mean he, he if he's some people role... have oh sorry go ahead no, I, no, I was no, going to say some people carve out really nice careers in the upper mid card. That's I mean, totally fine. It's 
there's nothing wrong with being Hiroki Goto. Like, people act like it's a That's fucking... exactly who I was going to compare to. <laughs> like, people act like that's a death sentence. I mean, Hiroki Goto's had an awesome career. I mean, if Higuchi's going to be the Hiroki Goto of DET, then that's what he's going to be. I mean, I don't know why people act like that's the fucking end of the fucking world. But anyway. Yeah. This is such a small, stupid thing, but Higuchi getting into stance and just running and just shoving Ishikawa down to the ground. It was such a simple spot in the match. But I were thinking, I was like, this guy, I'll fucking follow this guy. <laughs> <I was laughs> that's by the way, like, that's because he's a former sumo. That was a sumo. That's what I thought. Because yeah. I was like, he's if if he's setting up a sumo stance, like this has to be a callback to something. Yeah. I actually yeah, like I didn't research him further, like which I probably should have done. But like <laughs> that that makes sense because I was like, that's throwing in a sumo spot like that with no intentionality while still probably being pretty cool like i imagine there's probably some kind of uh greater purpose behind this this is me being shown up as again someone who i know very little about ddt i've seen like mostly just mostly the big comedy matches which is you know yeah it i i know it's like the tale of two promotions with them kind of yeah but I mean, this is always my. This was like my go-to match to recommend people if they want if they want to see like, you know, a like a serious DT match for a little while because I think people do have, obviously have that perception that's all comedy, which is not remotely true, but uh, but yeah, but yeah. So this mm-hmm. match is awesome. I don't know. If there's do you, anything else you want to say about it before we move on? No, I mean that's pretty <laughs> much where I am. Like I love this. That's it. I guess I never told you my star. My I never said my star rating. I I would still go four and a half, maybe before I, I think the first time i thought i was like four and three quarters so i guess i came down like a quarter star i don't think you're a star rating guy so you don't have to give a nah, not really I'll, yeah i'll respectfully decline <laughs> so yeah i mean I, i'm like i would say this is like a four and a half star match now for me but you know just like little things like the chin lock and stuff like you know the, the middle portion's a little was a little more boring than i remember but it's still like an amazing outstanding match yeah, it goes like slightly long, which is the yeah. one thing I could say about it that might be a criticism. But like, man, the good stuff is so good. Yeah. All right. So your second pick was Crazy Crusher versus Hellstorm from the Quebec Indie Promotion EWR, December nineteenth, two thousand four, a ladder match. Before you tell me why you picked this or anything, I just want to say, I when you sent me these two, these three matches, because I, I knew your fucking third pick was going to win. Uh, I figured. I was going to be watching three bad matches. I figured that was the gimmick here. Uh, you know, because you're, first of all, you're the host of the Bad Wrestling Podcast and all that. Uh, this match was awesome. <laughs> like, this fucking, uh-huh. this fucking <laughs> rules. I had no idea who these two people were. I had no idea what it was. Uh, this is fucking awesome. So, no, you did not... If anybody didn't watch this, because, you know, when I put out the, the links beforehand, because you assumed... Chris was sending three bad matches or something. Please make sure you watch this match. This match is incredible, and it fucking rules. So, like, yeah, I, I the before you even tell me anything why you picked it, I need to stress that for people listening. Like, this is on YouTube. You have to fucking watch it. But go ahead. Why'd you pick this match? Well, I'm gonna say first, I kind of had a loose three stages of hell structure in mind when I chose my matches, which is to say three, you know, the three classic stipulations: ambulance match, ladder match, and uh, wrestling match. But uh, this one, I think I mostly picked because of the deceptive quality. Uh, these two guys, I had first heard of this match uh, because of I want to say someone from like Segunda Kaida or something was talking about it being really good, and you know, you never know. So I was like, let me check this thing out, and. 
Um, it's yes, it's sloppy and it's more is more. But this is matches where this is a match where those things are assets, not flaws. Because this is like th- one of the most excessive ladder matches you'll ever see. But everything about it fucking rules. And um, I know like it's had a little bit of a cult resurgence in the last like year. I want to say Joey Janela put it on a Twitch stream at some point. But it's still a match I've it, it, not that many people know about it, and it's so fucking cool. It's 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 a long match, but it doesn't feel like it overstays its welcome to me. Like everything, things just keep fucking happening. And even after this is 04, so in the intervening 16 or so years, the latter match has been beaten to meaninglessness to me. But so I'm gonna, I'm gonna I want to talk about that at the, at the end. But there is a lot yeah, of stuff. On. There's a lot of stuff in this match that nobody has ever done before or since. And mm-hmm. you would you would think people would steal some of this, and I'm surprised they haven't. But on the other hand, some of the shit looks so fucking painful that I get why they haven't. But uh, yeah, this I mean, this match is. I mean, I, I wrote down a lot of spots, so we'll get into them. But like, there's so much shit in this match that has never been tried before or since. And you know, I don't know who the fuck these people are. I don't know what they did before after <laughs> EWR before after this match. I assume they I've just, watched. Sorry, one other crazy crusher match i've only ever seen one other match with crazy crusher and it was also on youtube which is a no rope barbed wire match with a guy named nightmare which is nowhere near as good as this okay so like, i assume they I just, don't know what these guys were. Yeah. i assume they just like are they just have like quebec indie careers and then just kind of like went away basically that's faint probably yeah but yeah um First of all, the first thing I have to say, I'm pretty sure Hellstorm came out to a Japanese song as a theme song, so keeping in line with the omakase here, I guess. But uh, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't recognize what it was, but I, I went back and listened like three times. I'm like, that man's singing in Japanese, I think. Like, that's so weird. So weird and random. Uh, and yeah, and then there's, like, there's... Okay, so the very first thing is like, there's like this... The two of them try to set up this wheelbarrow spot where they're using a wheelbarrow suplex them onto a ladder. And they kind of fall down. And you're like, oh, maybe this is not going to be good. But then the actual suplex looks fucking crazy. And he just fucking tosses him into this ladder. And you're like, oh, wait, maybe this is going to be awesome after all. And, you know, the, the very next spot, like, that really started to get me to go go crazy for this is, like, he... They set up Hellstorm's head in inside like i don't know how to describe this chair it's like these old chairs that you might see like in a uh in like a school or something where they they have that hole in the curve and like he puts his head through the hole and then kicks his fucking head i'm just like what the fuck like he'd never seen that before yeah uh and that (laughs) that gets like three people to do a dueling chant which i thought was funny uh but yeah the crowd is so funny to like I think there's like five or six separate holy shit chances. In this yeah. Uh, okay, so here's where like the crazy spot... and they're earned is the thing. Yeah, like, they all of them make sense. Oh yeah. But... Because like nowadays, sometimes they'll yeah, people will chant holy shit before a match actually does anything. So <laughs> I mean, you know. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, so like here's the first spot where I'm just like, well, this actually this one really isn't that dangerous at all, and I, I really don't get why no one's ripped this off because it's pretty amazing. So they set up one ladder, uh, you know, there's one ladder set up in the ring like normal to the belt, underneath the belt. They set up another ladder um, diagonally onto the post on the outside. Outside the ring. Yeah. yeah. So basically Hellstorm runs up the diagonal ladder that's up against the post on the floor and then jumps from that ladder inside the ring 
onto the ladder in the ring and fucking goes so fast up the ladder, which, again, this actually uh, makes more, way more fucking sense than a lot of ladder matches, especially in WWE, where the guy acts like they can't fucking climb almost immediately. Like, this guy's like, I'm going to fucking get this fucking belt as fast as I can. <laughs> and it really makes a lot of sense. And I honestly can't believe I've never seen that spot before or since. I don't know why no one's ever ripped that off, because it looks awesome, and it's not like that dangerous I mean like a lot of the shit that follows that, that, that nobody does before or since I get why no one's ever done it before or since but this one I don't I don't know why no one's why no one's tried to rip that off that looks that looked awesome so there you go I, I was gonna say speaking of danger right after that spot while he's on the ladder Crazy Crusher comes in and pushes the ladder down from under him and he falls right on his head and it looks nasty <laughs> uh, so it's like <laughs> And then These right, guys were both a 10 on the Snabu scale, I think is probably what I'm getting at here. Uh, soon after that, there is a pile driver off the ladder onto the top turnbuckle with both guys falling to the floor. And there's a spot that I get why no one's ripped off. Like, my God. <laughs> uh, and then there's another one where, like, a dude stands on one ladder that's upside down with the guy laying inside of it. And then he suplexes another ladder onto his head and even yells brain buster when he does it. <laughs> I was screaming at this. This is another one where, like, I've seen this a few times and the spots never lose their power for me. Because right after that, um, Crazy Crusher gets up, still trapped in a ladder, and then pushes Hellstorm off a ladder into the ropes. And, like, I, no one ever stops. It's always move, 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 move. But in a way where... It, it's also cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so cool. Um, and then, okay, so if I was going to have any complaints, this would be the next thing, where they spend a really long time building some kind of giant three-ladder contraption, and that's where it kind of was losing me a little bit. It's like, okay, you got to build this a little bit faster, guys. But the actual <laughs> spot it set up was really insane, where Hellstorm suplexes Crazy Crusher down on top of the other standing ladder from the top of the third one to the fuck the highest one onto another one that looks like it could have killed a man i mean that legitimately looks like it could have been fatal or they least broken his spine that is an absolutely terrifying bump and they keep going after yeah i mean that is seriously up there for like the grossest bump i've ever seen as a wrestling fan so i mean that's really something um it's yeah yeah um, I want to say like I, right after this, they keep doing crazy shit too. Like, like I think a, right a Death after Valley Driver, that's right. Yeah, where they it's off the ladder onto the one set up in the corner. If I'm yeah. not mistaken, it's like a, it's like well, it's off the ladder onto another ladder that's lying across the top rope, and then both guys like fall all the way to the floor, which is again really fucking sick. I'm trying to remember if this is before or after, but there's one point where there's two ladders that are bridging from the ring to the guardrail. And then Crusher is hung by a third ladder on top of them, like in like a crucified position or something. And then Hellstorm just runs the ropes and tries to do a senton out of the ring to him, but completely eats shit and lands on his head. And it looks terrifying. Like oh, yeah. it's all this setup for just a terrifying head drop. This is this is one of the most dangerous matches I've ever seen, I think. Like, yeah. It's one where I don't know what either of these guys are up to now, but I'm almost like, like I hope they're okay. Fulfilled. <laughs> no. Because uh, uh, they really do. They, they they take some bumps. I'm just like, I, I don't know how you survive this. Uh, after all that, by the way, the finish is 
Crazy Crusher <laughs> punches the shit out of him while they're both climbing. Hellstorm gets his leg hooked in the ladder and can't get out. And Crazy Crusher grabs the belt and wins. I will say, after all that shit, that's one of the most anticlimactic finishes of all time in a wrestling match. It's weird because it's like, how else? You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's like how can they end it? You know? It's like, what do you do at this point? I mean, maybe so, end it with it. one of those insane spots we just talked about. Right. Yeah. They just end it like that. And it's funny because, like, the, it, I remember thinking the first time I saw this where I was like, they might be building something crazy because they're both climbing the ladders. At one point, Hellstorm pushes the one with Crazy Crusher down, but it bounces off the ropes and he gets right up into position you're like okay and then uh hellstorm starts pogo stick jumping on the ladder to like reposition it and i'm like they're they're setting up for suck you know something fucking crazy this is gonna be the craziest thing the whole match and then he just gets his leg stuck in the match. <laughs> it's, it's like oh okay and it is really funny <laughs> it's a really funny way to end it but i do i did knock it down a little bit because of that but the match owns uh i would go i would say four and a quarter because there's no match to speak of between the crazy bumps and you know, sometimes it did take a really long time to set up the ladders. Plus, it had, like I said, the maybe one of the worst fans I've ever seen. But, I mean, it's still an amazing match that, like, I cannot recommend enough. Like, you have to watch this. It is really, 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 like, you'll see so many bumps that you will, you've you never seen before and hopefully will never see again. Uh, it was really, <laughs> really something. Now, what you were talking about earlier about the ladder match being, uh, you know, overexposed and everything... I've been on the record before saying I fucking hate ladder matches. Watching this and watching Benoit versus Jericho uh, on the Joel Abraham episode a few weeks back has really crystallized for me that what I actually hate are multi-man ladder matches. Those fucking suck. Yes. That's all we book nowadays, by the way. That's AEW just had one this past weekend. WWE has them every fucking two seconds, either Money in the Bank or like NXT will have one seemingly every other goddamn month. And it's like, multi-man ladder matches, it's just... A bunch of guys flying in and out of, the fr- out of the frame. It's impossible to give a shit because, you know, Ricochet might do some buck- fucking giant move. And then he'll take some giant move. And then he'll be gone for 15 minutes. And then it's like, oh, look, it's Ricochet again. And it's like, I, 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 there's nothing for me to get invested in watching this. It's just a bunch of guys doing a bunch of shit with, you know, no consequence uh, you know, nothing to follow, really. It's just like, okay, here comes this guy. Ah, uh, now that guy's gone. Ah, uh, here comes this guy. Ah, uh, now he's gone. Here, it's like when there's two people in a fucking match, it's like, yeah, they're doing all this crazy shit, but, like, at least I can follow the fucking match. Like, I can follow Hellstorm and Crazy Crusher. Two people, I don't know who they are, and I've never seen Russell before, and probably will never see Russell again, and I care more about them in this match than I will ever care about anybody in the fucking AEW casino ladder match because at least they're on my goddamn screen the entire time and it's not just random fucking bodies flying in and out of the you know you know what I'm trying to say like just they're in yeah. they're in the match it's just their match it's not random people just doing fucking doing moves or whatever and yeah so we need <laughs> Let to me bring, tell you something, we need to bring back the one on one ladder match that's my that's my conclusion. You specifically mentioned the casino ladder match, which is right around the same length as this match. They're both like <laughs> just under a half hour. Like they're about 25, 26 minutes, something like that. I can remember one spot that happened in that AEW casino match, <laughs> which is Darby Allen jumping off a ladder with a skateboard through another like, and eating shit and hurting his leg, which is pretty cool. And then there was a whole lot of nothing. This I can remember like, like eight to 10 crazy spots. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and I mean, if you're doing a ladder match, it's ultimately what it's all about, right? It's yeah. Like, it's the memorable spots, and that AEW thing, like 
that was just a whole lot of nothing happening for like ages and ages and then brian cage showed up <laughs> i mean i can remember i was gonna say i can remember brian cage like tossing darby on the ladder out of the ring because that spot looks stupid like why not just toss it? oh right yeah, <laughs> yeah that, exactly. was, that was silly in a bad way yeah, like, yeah that wasn't even good the one good part of that was just taz walking around looking like a menacing penguin outside <laughs> the ring like that was kind of fun but like <laughs> the rest of it uh. Orange Cassidy was funny but the actual match it's, like that was the only highlight of that match basically was Orange Cassidy being funny but like the actual like fucking wrestling and the, the spots are just but yeah I'm not, not trying to pick on AEW it's everyone like the money yeah, right, in the bank yeah. the money in the bank matches haven't been good in forever I mean I didn't, I didn't watch this year thanks to the voters thankfully but yeah I mean the money in the bank matches suck the NXT ones suck it's just we need to ban multi-man ladder matches. I'm not going to lie. I did vote for that uh, Money in the Bank match. Uh-huh. against uh, That was against Okada Shibata, right? Yes. So you, you, did, you actually did get off very easy, is the thing. Because like, Okada Shibata is like, that match is like, it, even with the circumstances around it, that match flies by. Yeah. That Money in the Bank match, I haven't seen it either. But like, from all accounts, it's like, it, it sounds brutal. It sounds very yeah. difficult to watch. I, have, I almost was, uh, you know... What are you going to say? Like, I was almost uh, played myself, I guess. But it worked out okay. All I had to do was send the link to a bunch of random people and ask them. The thing is, I I wasn't even going to vote for it, but the fact that you nominated it was, like, (laughs) such a funny, like, it was such a weird, like, setting yourself up thing. I was like, all right. I want to see this shit through. I really (laughs) didn't think, like, I had no idea what to put up against it because I'm like, what am I supposed to put up against one of the best matches of all time? It's like, should I just declare Okada Shibata the winner by default? Like, I don't, I didn't really understand. So I just was like, okay. I was gonna say, like, money. That's like it's universally. Yeah, nobody hates that match. There are lots of people who hate New Japan, and I've never seen them like talk shit. Everybody loves that match. Yeah, Yeah. it's, it's so funny. But, um, (laughs) anyway, uh, do you want to talk about your second match? Yes, but uh, I, I just want to again say for the record, make sure you watch that ladder match. Okay. My second pick was Homicide versus Takashi Morishima from Ring of Honor, uh, February 17th, 2007, for the ROH World title. Um, I don't know why I picked this. Like, Morishima was coming up in the Voice of Wrestling Slack, like, the week before this, and, you know, it made me remember what, like, a term, like, a, you know, what a wild period this was, and, you know, how much turmoil there was around uh, the decision to put Morishima over here and his whole run. Um, and I just kind of wanted a chance to talk about Homicide, who's like a, I think a very a very underrated figure in wrestling. I mean, he, if you weren't around in, you know, late oh one, early oh two, I don't know if it even will make sense. Like what a big figure he and Loki were together. I mean, what they did, you know, as these New York local guys who, like, revere Japanese wrestling and like. You know, you know. I mean, Homicide's nicknamed the Strong Style Thug. First of all, uh, greatly confused people as to what Strong Style was for the last twenty years. But like, it just yeah, that because <laughs> he was clearly an all Japan guy. Like you can see watching his stuff. Like he loved, you know, all this all Japan shit. And you know, I think he confused people. He was he should have been the king. That was kind guy. of the story. Uh, the, that was the, kind of the story of the, all the guys from this period. I think of the Briscoes too, where like their style was so much just biting Kings Road stuff. Yeah, and people, people are the, the strong style. Like that's never going back in the bottle. People are just going to say that forever now, unfortunately. But yeah, 
<sighs> it's a shame. But, but anyway, but yeah, yeah, he met he, he homicide. I mean, he was always one of my favorites. Like, uh, you know, for a long time, one of my internet passwords was like homicide, and people would see this and be like, "Why is this your password?" And I have to explain. No, there's a, I'm not a murderer. <laughs> there's a pro wrestler that I really love. His name is Homicide. But anyway, uh, <laughs> like that was like me trying to explain this to people in like 2004. But yeah, I mean, like he he was this local guy who like. You know, when I started going to indie shows and like Jersey All Pro Wrestling, you know, it, it was just really cool seeing like a you know, a local wrestler who loved Japanese wrestling, and he he was basically uh, you know aping Japanese wrestling at the same time I was discovering Japanese wrestling. So I think that was like a huge reason why he was important to me. And then you know, if if Homicide and Loki don't come up at this time, who the fuck knows where wrestling is, right? Because so much of wrestling was influenced by Ring of Honor. Like, I think, you know, clearly Ring of Honor from, like, 2002 to, like, 2008 was super influential. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if, you know, they, they like, provided, like, such a a base of, like, you know, these two, you know, these two, like, guys from New York who loved Japanese wrestling. And so much of early Ring of Honor was aping Japanese wrestling. So, you know, and that became, like, such a U.S. indie thing. So now maybe you, if you don't like Japanese wrestling, maybe you're, like... You know, the U.S. wrestling would have been better. <laughs> but, like, uh, I just think it's a... They're very, very influential. And I don't know if people really understand that 18 years later, that, like, how influential Homicide and Loki both were. So, you know, Homicide's Ring of Honor World Title reign very well deserved here. And, you know, it came to a very quick end for reasons we can get into. But, uh, you know, he definitely... It was watching him, the build-up to him winning that title from Brian Danielson in 2006 was so cool. And maybe we'll maybe we'll tackle that another time. But yeah, I mean, like this was, you know, a couple months after he won it, this is where he lost it here to Morishima. And then Morishima on the other side is like really interesting because uh, this run was supposed to be, you know, him getting ready for the big run of his career, and instead it ended up being the big run of his career. Like he never reached this high again. I mean, I, I, he won the GHC title, but like he never lived up to the potential he showed here. Like he never. I mean, he first his big problem was he never seemed to have. I mean, his his biggest strength was he he was amazing against smaller wrestlers. The problem was he mm-hmm. was never as good against wrestlers his own size, so he could beat the shit out of juniors, and it would be fucking amazing as as it was here, honestly. But like you know, and he had some really awesome matches with Kenta, uh, you know, back in Noah. But like against other guys his own size, against other heavyweights, you know, he really struggled to live up to that. I think so. You know, that's why that's probably a big reason why it never. You know, the, the, he never really lived up to that potential. But this run was, was fucking awesome. So, uh, and I, it was also very divisive. But I think it was, you know, like some of the Ring of Honor fan base wasn't into it at the time. But it was awesome. Now, Chris, before I ask you for your thoughts on this match, uh, were you at this match? I was not, although okay. I have seen this match before. Okay. So. Because I know you're local, so that's why I figured Yeah, I, I wasn't living in Philly at the time. And uh, the other thing was, I wasn't watching wrestling at the time. So um, I, as a kid, I had pretty much gotten out of wrestling in like early to mid-05 and would occasionally kind of like poke my head in for various things. I remember um, specifically like a, a little bits of two, 06 ROH, I kind of poked my head in, you know, and like things like that. But when I was in college, someone showed me 
a bunch of Ring of Honor matches, and uh, this was one of them. And I think because I wasn't really in touch, I remember thinking, like, Morishima ended up becoming this massive star afterwards. And when I fully, fully got back into wrestling in, like, 2013-ish, I remember being convinced. Like, I was like, where the fuck is Morishima at? And, like, I think he was, like, still a Noah guy. He ended up retiring a couple years later, but, like, he never really moved at all. And I just assumed he was this world beater because this match was so cool. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, And, like, it's a strange thing because this feels to me like it's a shocking ending but it's also a coronation of like th- he comes off like a fucking monster in this yes what they do on purpose which is you know it's yeah really, it's really well really well structured and really well booked and homicide obviously was very generous here and like really let morishima look like a fucking killer at his expense as we'll go into as we go through it um yeah because this is if i'm not mistaken um this is his second roh match morishima or is, yes it's the previous yeah, night he lost to Samoa Joe in New York. Okay, yeah. I was, yeah. At, I was at both shows. I was at the, the New York show where he lost to Joe. Or went to a non-finish or something. I don't, I don't remember. He didn't mm-hmm. beat him, but I remember that. So that which him not beating Joe made this even more shocking, I think, to people. So, um, But yeah, I was yeah. at this show as well in Philly. And, you know, because this, this is still in the period where I was going to pretty much every Ring of Honor show in the Northeast. Uh, you know, this that period would kind of, I guess that period would end, would end like late 08, I guess. I don't know. I always kind of like, it's hard for me to remember now exactly when I stopped going, but uh, it was like late 08, early 09 or something. But yeah, I mean, like, I was definitely, you know, at this at this show. Um, so this starts with Morishima jumping homicide like pretty much immediately and just beats his ass all around ringside which is awesome and then when homicide you know probably gets the most offense he gets in the entire match where he fires up outside the ring and like you know he whips him right through one of the famous roh barricades well before wwe made that a cliche with roman reigns and you know that was such a cool spot um and then julia smokes like gives him an assist with a clothesline on the floor uh, which I, I, that, that's one of the things that makes Morishima look like a badass for like, you know, Julius Smokes was not interfering in all of Homicide's matches at this point. Yeah, the fact that yeah. he, he felt the need to do it here, even though they were baby faces and they were like, you know, and, and you kind of even got the reaction from the crowd. Like the crowd does not boo it. The crowd is like, that's understandable. This man looks like a monster. So. Yeah, they need he needs the assistance and like it's weird too because like you know smoke Julius Smokes is yelling outside the ring about how like this is America and stuff like that. <laughs> the wokes aren't gonna like this one, so to speak. Uh, but like, like uh, you know, but then I see uh, uh, the crowd's fucking cheering. Then again, this is an ROH 07 crowd, so they they probably are gonna like this one. Uh, like, uh, you know. Julius Smokes yelled a lot of stuff that didn't come on the fucking tape. He at one point says. Some, he said something like, "We're gonna dine on pork fried rice tonight." I always remembered that one because oh, e- even well, because I was gonna say, even the people sitting around me were just like, Ugh. like there was like a like there was like a weird laugh slash like, Ugh. like I don't know about that one. It was very like, <laughs> like there was very... yeah. Do you know where you're you're giving these the mid two thousands Philly crowds pause? <laughs> like, that's probably a point where you got to reevaluate a little bit and like maybe 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 tone down the act. Yeah, and then like right after that, when Morshima lays him out, he yelled, "Egg roll is tight," and I'm just like, again, people are just like, Fuck. Ah. But yeah, uh, there you go. But, oh uh... Jesus, yeah. Because <laughs> the thing is, like Julius Smokes, I always really enjoyed him as a manager. He's he's uh... he's a great Maybe manager. In comparison that to would other... not, he's a great manager that would need to change his act in 2020. That's for sure. 
Oh yeah, he wouldn't get away with like what he's doing here now, but he brings so much life outside the ring. I think. Like, yeah. I think I compare him to someone con- contemporaneously, but like someone like Prince Nana, who like was nowhere near as he just wasn't like this at all. Yeah. And I oh, mean, I yeah, I I really fucking loved him. Anyway, yeah. I mean, he was awesome, but he was also like you said, uh, very not very much not woke. <laughs> I guess you could say. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah. If, I guess like if 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 you take out the actual content of the words he's saying, noise wise and energy wise, he's great. But unfortunately, you know, yeah, there I are mean, words that are leaving his mouth. Yeah, I mean, there were also like the you know the c c word. I guess you could say the yeah. I mean that 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 oh that, fuck, it, I didn't even hear that. Oh, that is audible Jeez. on here. Like he calls him, you know, a blank sucker. You know, uh, but yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. But uh, anyway, so back to the match. They try to double team him again with a double Irish whip in the ring, which the ref just lets go for some reason. And Morishima runs them both over the double clothesline. That was awesome. And then he does his handspring splash into the corner, which always looked a little sloppy, but still just looked fucking crazy for a man his size. The crowd is like, you know, oh my god. Like, that's basically the first time the crowd is just like, this, this guy is crazy. The crowd, like, barks at this, like, out of surprise. It's yeah. so cool. Because <laughs> it's like, you know, guys this size. I don't know how normalized guys this big doing shit like this was in 07. It wasn't at all. But, yeah, I was going to say, it feels pretty novel at this point to me. Because I yeah. can't think of too many contemporary guys doing stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and then this match, this is where, like, it really starts doing a really great job. Like, you know, basically just putting Morshima over for the big run he's going to be on. Because he just looks, he looks great in his agile spots. And then he just also... Like completely no sells homicide striking, uh, while the announcers just yell about how big and tough he is. And this is one of those things where it's like, yeah, wrestling is really fucking easy, and people like make it really hard for some reason. And it's like, no, yeah. just have a big dude stand there and look like a badass. It's really not difficult. Like, and you know, it, for his, the the Morishima run did and didn't work, and you know, we can get into that, but like. Nobody ever questioned this man was a badass, and because and a big part of it was that Homicide put him over so strong here. Um, you know, the heat segment gets a little, yeah. the heat segment gets a little dull, but like the long head scissors from Morishima, uh, and then like Homicide, but then Homicide like he makes this great this comeback with like this awesome Ace Crusher, and he always had possibly the great the greatest Ace Crusher slash uh, you know cutter in wrestling. I think like. He just makes it look so fucking good when he does like that one motion. So it's, it's it looks so smooth and also like it has a viciousness to it. Like it's not easy to combine those two things. But how, I think part of seeing Prime Homicide is just like how fucking good he was at all times, and like he's still fun when he pops up on modern shows. But like it's just it's like night and day. I mean, it's he just, was he was a guy that could he, he had like that he had the badass aura. He had obviously his lariats were fucking always fucking amazing. Like he, there might be like there there probably was not an American wrestler who like threw lariats like he did, and you know like other than like obviously the the famous ones like Stan Hansen and stuff. But like as far as like yeah. American wrestlers in America, like his his lariats were just fucking crazy. And then like you know, on top of all that, like he just he could come up with these moves sometimes, which is like I I think he had a rep for being. You know, people were like, oh, he was a deathmatch guy. He was a brawler. But, like, his, like, execution of moves was, like, actually, like, really high level. Like, his suplexes always looked really good. His ace crusher, like I said, was, like, the best, probably, that you'll ever see. So, like, I don't know. Like, he's one of those guys I think 
uh, he also like he didn't have like what what what's what you call like a the best look I guess maybe like he, he always wore a t-shirt and stuff so I think people might think like oh he's a you know people I think would see him and be like oh he's probably like yarder or something and it's like no he he like his wrestling move execution was probably as good as anybody as far as the moves he did so uh yeah but yeah they i don't i don't he's very good at doing moves that's basically what it comes down to that's it yeah, yeah. like that's the thing because like, that was good for my response i was like yeah it looks fucking sick when he does everything in this yeah. and i i think i was this is again a very small spot but i was just smiling ear to ear when during what could have just been a headlock spot he is he starts biting morishima's arm and then across Morishima's nose repeatedly and it's there's such hate to it but yeah. Morishima's also clearly not feeling it at all and I was just like oh yeah this this fuck kicks ass like <laughs> sort of just like I know this is how it's supposed to be you know what I mean like it's and that kind of thing it's I don't know like maybe I should watch more of this rain to understand why Morishima in particular like never totally clicked but he comes off again like the the coolest fucking wrestler in this match. Yeah, I mean he just I, fucking. I mean, no sells everything, which always helps. It, that's it. Like I know that doesn't always work with people, but like the ending sequence where he hits, I, I think three backdrop drivers, and like there are there are brief comebacks in between, but, but like he looks like such an absolute monster. Yeah. I think it was two backdrops and one that wasn't, which I'm gonna. I was gonna that, angrily yeah. chastise the announcers for it, but uh, right, I, I look. I know. I know. Uh, smokes <laughs> like so. Julius smokes like at one point gets involved again and like grabs his ankle from the floor when he's on top, which again makes more seem look like a badass because he these two dudes need to double team him just to have a chance, and it leads to a really great homicide superflex for two, uh, and then more Shima like. He catches him coming off the top with, like, a modified overhead belly-to-belly, which, while he has a bloody nose from, like, the Homicide Lariats, which just rules as a visual and gets, like, a big Morishima chant for the first time. Uh, and then he, like, no-sells two more drop kicks. Um, you know, Homicide does, like, a drop toe hold. And then the only thing in the in the stretch run that looks kind of bad is the Homicide doing a, like, the... I actually don't think this was his fault. I think it was Morishima's fault. But, like, there was a top rope Rana... That just looks really bad, and I think more it, it Shima... looks. Oh, sorry, God. I thought that looked like total shit, and I couldn't figure out why. I think <laughs> Morishima yeah. mistimed it. That's what I. That's what I. Th- I went back and watched it again to try to figure it out. And I think Morishima just rolls like in a weird and like sloppy way, and just kind of the timing is off. So, uh, I think it was his fault, but who knows? That makes sense. Yeah. But then after that, he gets tossed with a really cool-looking uh, Sambo suplex from Morishima, which the announcer incorrectly calls a backdrop driver, which makes no sense. That's he, it. Because yeah. Morishima wasn't even behind him. So how can it be a backdrop driver when the man's not behind him? Anyway. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, it's like a Sambo suplex with like the arm across the neck. I love that move, and it doesn't get used enough, especially today. So uh, you know, I, I was very angry at this announcer for misidentifying uh, it. But yeah, there's like a, a really badass like quick fake exchange with that you know, it's like two seconds, so it doesn't go on too long and become cliched or anything. But like Morishima just shrugs off homicide strikes, he hits this big giant even like this big giant chop that sounded great, and he goes for another he goes for like the, the backdrop driver and homicide like elbows his way out of it. He keeps trying these boots to the face, but like Morishima just fucking catches his leg and just tosses it, which looks great, and then 
you know, hits this enormous backdrop driver and then a huge lariat for a two count, which is just an awesome sequence. And then he finally hits another backdrop yeah. driver and get, that gets the pin, which absolutely, you have never seen a crowd more flabbergasted than this. And I remember being in the crowd and like people just like with their fucking hands to their heads, just people being like, what the fuck? Like to say no one thought there's going to be a title change here would be an understatement, if anything. Like, this was people thought you know this this Noah wrestler was going to be here for the weekend. He was going to put over Homicide, or they were going to do some nonsense or something, and that was going to be it. He kills Homicide, takes the title, and everybody's just like, "What the fuck is this?" Like nobody saw that coming. So the thing is, like knowing Morishima wins this match, even the ending sequence. Where he, he hits the backdrop driver, then the lariat, and a kick out. I remember like thinking, like, oh well, you know, there's going to be a little more after this. Eventually, Morshi will take it, but like, you know, Homicide's going to have one last big comeback. But no, he just gets up and gets backdrop driver again, and that's it. And that's such a cool ending, and such. It really does feel like the air is taken out of the arena sails, but not in a bad way. Like sometimes, like you can tell when a show has been killed, but it like this being the title change on this note, like it legitimately feels like oh like we we fucking played you is gabe still here for this this is still gabe era this is still gabe yeah 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 because he's not that's another year when he goes so i will give the rare uh, shout out to gabe here for uh this ending feeling it's a great ending to a match i i love this in general but that ending really like it kicked it up another level for me i think yeah I mean, I, I don't think this is like an all-time classic, but it's a really awesome match that does what it set out to do, which is make Morshima look like an absolute killer. Um, you know, I would I would say like four stars probably, four stars flat is what I would give this. But uh, mm-hmm. it's just a really interesting moment in history where Morshima kicks off what was supposed to be his setup run to even greater Noah's success, but like, as you mentioned, ends up being his entire run. And Homicide, I mean, this ended up being... The peak of Homicide and Ring of Honor ends up being him beating Danielson for the title. You know, Gabe clearly thought the the money was the chase with Homicide, and you know he didn't want to give him a long reign. He only held the title for two months, which you can debate if that was the right call or not. I I kind of get where he's coming from because at the same time he's Ring of Honor champion, he's like one half of a tag team on TNA TV at this point, and so I I think he was worried right. about like yeah. making his belt look you know lesser or whatever, but like. You know, this was pretty much it for Homicide. I mean, he he's here for, like, two more months, and then he's gone at the end of April. And, you know, he doesn't come back until, like, a, a one-shot weekend in October 2008. So he's gone for, you know, a year and a half. And even that's just a very short little one-weekend thing where he comes back with Hernandez for the weekend, and, and he's gone again. And, you know, that's it for him in the Gabe era. He comes back. I, I don't know how long is, like, post-Gabe ROH... Uh, I did not watch a lot of Ring of Honor until the New Japan guys started showing up, honestly, so I don't really know like what his runs are like post-Gabe. I, my impression is they're ne- not that big a deal, and they're not that long either, but I could be wrong, I guess. I don't yeah, know. I'm looking at it right now. It looks like he kind of just did off-and-on appearances from 2010 to 2013. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah. I, I really like that. One of his reasons he left the second time is because he had to sign an exclusive contract with the Urban Wrestling Federation. (laughs) Covered on the Bad Wrestling Podcast, if I may allow myself to plug our show for a second. Uh, That's uh, a very good reason to leave ROH, which, I mean, that was like HDNet or ROH. That's fine. 
Yeah, fucking sucks. I mean, I don't. I, I it's one of those things where it's like I think there are people who like it, but I I don't know. Like I don't really know why. It's not. It's not very good. So that's some of the most boring wrestling you're ever gonna watch. Me, so I mean, like, I I can't get into that shit. I mean, I tried to watch it like on television. I don't know. I don't know if you did or not, but like I would still try to watch it. I'd just be like, this is so fucking boring. Like I don't really get the appeal at all. But anyway. Uh, that was also like the the period where I was most down on wrestling in general. So, uh, but yeah, that that like turn of the decade is uh, it, that's uh, going watching a lot of that stuff because again, like wrestling at the time, I feel like the turn of the decade like it it feels like like a layer of mildew has grown over everything and like everybody needs to clean off and change so to speak. Like there, it's like right at the spark of everything changing a little bit, but. Uh, getting there's it's real fucking tedious i'm not gonna lie yeah because i mean like which is to say i'm not a big davy fan i know some yeah yeah some people love davy richards i know I was some never, love yeah i was never really into him either um but, yeah i think if you love davy you probably look at this a lot more fondly but, yeah i mean like you know ring like even like japanese wrestling at the time i mean noah was like on its way down after they dominated most of the decade and you know new japan really mm-hmm. hadn't started turning things around yet i mean there's some new japan stuff i've gone back and watched from like oh nine and ten that's pretty decent but like i don't think i think most people would say the the peak started in 2012 and like you could sort of see it coming in 2011 and there's some really good stuff in 2011 but like 2012 is really where it starts so yeah, is that like the weird like post Anoki period where like the, the guys are all there but they haven't really I don't I, I they haven't like figured I, out what they want to do is the thing yeah you know? yeah like that's like it's a very weird period where like they're still like developing the style like Tanahashi is kind of taking it in that direction but at the same time you still have other guys that clearly still want to do like strong style traditional you know traditional strong style and it's like a very weird mm-hmm. mix. And then, like, 2012 is where you really start to see it, like, shift, like, full into, like, okay, this is what we're doing. Like, tw- really, 2011 is where it really starts to shift like that. And then 2012 is the first year where it's, like, you know, just consistently really good. But, uh, you know, 2011, 2011 is a pretty damn good year, but, like, it has its ups and downs still. Whereas, like, 2012 on is where, you know, I think most people would call the, I mean, Bushiro buys it and, you know, so it's the Bushiro era. And, like, you know, Okada shows up, so you could say it's the Okada era. So mm-hmm. it really, like, starts in 2012. But, yeah. Um, I don't... But, yeah, I don't, we don't have to... We talked a lot of New Japan last week. We have to talk more New Japan. Uh, let's transition mm-hmm. into the opposite of New Japan, you could say, which is Jimmy Jack Cash versus Hippie Dickie Moon from the SWA on October 8th, 2016. It won the fan poll... Uh, 62.9% to 37.1%. I put up uh, JBL, JBL versus The Undertaker in a last drive match from WWE in uh, October 3rd, 2004. And that I put up what I think is one of the worst matches I've ever seen live because uh, that's a show I was at and it was in the, uh, I guess the, God, the Continental Airlines Arena at the time is what it was called in in uh, Secaucus, New Jersey. And yeah, oh was, yeah, the the Meadowlands. Yeah, yeah, the Meadowlands. The, the WWE. I don't know why I blanked on Meadowlands, but yeah, WWE. Uh, no Mercy was the pay per view. One of the worst pay. One of the worst shows we've attended live. Maybe maybe the worst. It's it's really high up there. Because uh, I I figured you were gonna win. I figured there was no way 
you and uh, Chris rallying the voters for Jimmy Jack Cash wouldn't work. So I was like, why even put up a match that I will be sad when it loses? Why not just put up a fucking match that I know is gonna is a piece of shit that I don't won't regret not watching? So that was my that was my mindset. So long too. Like I think it's I think it's twenty before entrances. Yeah, it's pretty long. <laughs> like oh man, I, th- that is a brutal match. I've. <laughs> I, I don't know if I've seen that full show. I feel like I probably would have because I was actively watching WWE in late 04, but I can't, I'm looking at the card and I don't remember almost any of this. Yeah, late 04 SmackDown is quite the wasteland. So, <laughs> Eddie Guerrero versus Luther Reigns? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah. But but let's talk about the match that won, which was, okay. I guess, explain this to me. I, I don't know anything that's going on here. So, explain to me what the fuck this is. Uh, what the <laughs> hell the SWA is, who these people are, anyhow. Okay, so I actually, on our, it's probably our most recently released episode of Mad Wrestling Podcast, we uh, covered Jimmy Jack Cash, who is a Northeast indie stalwart slash um, maniac. Uh, he is, he actually did a couple of early ROH shots, managed by Prince Nana. Uh, Gabe hasn't, you know, never brought him back, which, you know, shock. Wait, and, really? Uh, he was, when the <laughs> fuck was he in Ring of Honor? I don't, I, I don't remember that at all. He was on one of the... It's during the Joe Reign, so it's one of the 03 shows, and uh, him and Prince Nana team, and he's Prince Nana's newest client, too. I think they get squashed by uh, Dun & Marcos, and he I, he does, like, one other match after that, and that's it for him. Wow. I don't remember. I'm, I'm going to look this up because I'm really curious. Let's see. Yeah, okay, I see it's, it it's on, on Cage Match. Yeah, I see so. it there. Uh, oh, oh, he was a do-or-die guy. That's interesting. I, so I never went to those two or dies. <laughs> that would explain a lot. Like, they would have these Ring of Honor shows uh, in the afternoon where it was, like, before the actual show. And, you know, they were basically put on... They were basically had, like, these... It was, like, a showcase for, uh, you know, random indie guys that I guess they were thinking of using. And... Yeah. You know, I never went to those. I was just like, you know, I'm good. I'm gonna go to the evening show. Uh, in the in the daytime, I have better things to do than go to a do. I don't think I ever attended a single do or die. But yeah, so uh, and then he was on Wrestle Rave 03, which is the one you were just talking about. So he was yeah, at, at the time he was just Jimmy Cash, not Jimmy Jack Cash, for the record. But uh, he beat someone called Lit. I think that's Special K. I assume. I don't even. I don't know. Even know who that is. I... On the, think that's right but i'm not 100 percent sure on that yeah uh so he beat someone named lit on the first do or die in may 2003 and then he was on this Russell rave show that i don't think i went to uh that Russell like, rave show has like a pretty sick made event if i'm not mistaken i think it's like trent acid versus homicide oh yeah yeah but yeah 2003 like i was not yet going to every show I, I went to like a couple philly shows but for the most part i was only going in like in new jersey i guess like the Rexflex shows but yeah, yeah um so that i didn't see that and then he had a dark match what the fuck was this this was that final battle yeah start oh no the conclusion in connecticut i definitely did not go to that either he lost yeah, to I slick mean, Ragnar brown so that's that would be his trainer so that might be oh really he was slick Wagner. so i i have seen a ton of slick Wagner brown because he was a he was a big star in Jersey All Pro Wrestling, so I wonder if did yep. Jimmy did Jimmy Cash work a lot of Jersey All Pro? I couldn't find that. Yeah, so I, maybe he just never did it. That's really interesting. he's. I think he's from Massachusetts. Okay. So. Yeah. Um. He. Um. 
he's a Kowalski guy as well. And I'm here to say he's a better Kowalski guy than Triple H. Um, Feel free to challenge me on that, but uh, he has done less damage to the wrestling business. He lost to a man named Tony Bolt for the Inoki Dojo in 2007. What? (laughs) Okay, I didn't even fucking know about this. Tony Bolt defeats Jimmy Cash May 13th, 2007, Inoki Dojo USA in los angeles so because i saw the new japan logo appear on the thing i was like what but yes he that was a Anoki dojo he that was also the same year he got a wwe dark match and uh he lost to jim oh not even dark match he lost to jim duggan on episode of sunday night heat in august yes uh an episode that's like impossible to find because their network doesn't have it and all of like the torrent packs of heat are missing 07 <laughs> like it's like this is the match that does not want to be seen i've like i've looked all over for it and i can't find it anywhere so uh anybody if you have the uh let me look that date up uh, open request to listeners if you can find the august 27th 07 episode of sunday night heat please send it to me or kevin we've been looking all over for this fucking jimmy jack cash for such a <laughs> <fucking> match. Like, <laughs> it's like the, the your it's like your fucking whale that you're trying to... <laughs> it's this is my last battle of atlanta like where it'll be found randomly like in a warehouse somewhere um but uh, yeah he's um he's this bizarre grifter who um he posts a lot of christian rap videos he uh he talks about how he beat john cena once and posts it like in replies to everybody's like all the promotions twitters he'll like reply to mlw be like hey you're gonna book the best promo guy in the biz i beat john cena here are my best moves and like uh, also like he's uh, he like wanted to start a career as a right-wing pundit with a show called the jack perspective that never really popped off as you might be shocked to know uh he's just this he has a lot of gym griffs that keep falling through like there's a giant thread on the reddit page for schenectady accusing him of building of buying and neglecting an office building like he's just he's a bizarre carny and also um he he has a guido gimmick like he claims to be a mobster so that's jimmy jack cash and uh his opponent is a hippie <laughs> i i would i i'll be honest like before i i just looked at this cage match and listened to you talk i would have assumed he was a recent guy i had no idea he's been around since fucking 2001 this is so yes crazy. he is a like a 20-year vet and uh like kevin has asked people about him like kevin dm'd gabe about him and got an answer just saying like oh yeah i remember him nope no clarification bill carr from the team tremendous has talked about him kevin asked about that he's like yeah i just i think the rap videos are funny i've never seen him in my life like no one has any recollection of this guy but he's worked a bunch of places and he's worked a bunch of named people too like he's worked all the ecw vets most of the ones who are still around too like sam man and shit but he's so he's so bad He's a really, really terrible professional wrestler, judging by this match. I mean, like, <laughs> yes, like really awful. Like he's one of these guys that's been a, like I would have guessed if you told me, John, guess how long this guy's been wrestling based on this match. I would have said he's been doing this for six months. Like he is really the fact that he was doing this for fifteen fucking years <laughs> at this point. Is, like he's like uh, what's the, what's the name of the fucking Ring of Honor chick? That was Ring of Honor World Champion. I can't. I can't remember her fucking name. Kelly Klein. Kelly Klein. I, I. My head was Kelly Kelly, which I'm like. I know it's not Kelly Kelly. <laughs> she yeah. might actually be better than Kelly. Well, Klein. first, first of all, Kelly Klein is significantly better than him. But when I watch Kelly Klein, you know, I think, ah, oh, this is. She looks kind of rough. She's been doing this probably for a year, and then someone's like, John, she's been wrestling for like eight years. <laughs> when like, I found that out, I was shocked. Yeah. I thought she was a trainee. Like yeah. that's the same thing. 
but uh but yeah jimmy cash is like the she, he's kelly klein except he's a guy obviously he's been doing it twice as long and he's significantly worse so he's he's also again like um he works a mob stereotype but also he really hates the soprano he what so that's a thing because that doesn't rep his life so he's like a very old school mobster and um uh, um, this this match is just like it's unbelievable this is a terrible match don't get me wrong but it's like i I, i've talked to kevin a lot about this and it's like i love when wrestlers big time other wrestlers just like just make them look like total shit for no reason and usually legends do this like you know they'll come into you know al snow will come on a local indie and make some random trainee look like absolute ass but then let him get the pin Jimmy Jack Cash also has done this, but he's not accomplished anything. So it's like <laughs> doubly fascinating that he's doing this kind of match. He comes in, he has a stable called the Men of Business, who are they're supposed to be mobsters, but in this case, it's a guy named Dennis John with glasses and a ponytail who looks like somebody's accountant. I was gonna say Dennis John was one of the big questions watching this because he looks like a random old man from the fucking crowd. I mean, there is no... You have never... There's never been anyone in wrestling who has looked as unassuming as this man. He looks like a man you would walk down the street and see across the street and be like, hey, it's the old guy from the from the block. Like, he looks so incredibly normal. I'm like, what is his gimmick supposed to be? Is he just supposed to be a, a random person? Like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, what... Like, he's wearing a fucking vest... He's got the fucking ponytail. He looks as non-threatening as any human being could look. Non-threatening, non-conspicuous. He looks like a a person. Just a fucking person. It's it's so good, too, because, like, you know, the the Jimmy Jack Cash theme, which is Hate Me Now by Nas, starts playing. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh, like, this is ominous. Like, someone tough's going to come out. And then this guy comes out, looks like he runs a fucking print shop. And you're like, what the fuck? It's so bizarre. By the way, what is the SW? It's like the Suffolk Wrestling Alliance or something? The like Suffolk some... Wrestling Alliance. It's yeah, just some yeah. random Indian, like, what, like New- upstate New York? Yeah, yeah. I think they, I want to say they run in, like, I looked up, I looked it up earlier. I think it's at Deer Park is where they're based. Oh, yeah. it's like, okay, okay, I get it. So it's like Nassau County, like, or close to Nassau County. Suffolk, Suffolk County. County, yeah, yeah. 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 So it's Long yeah. Island. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Okay. So um, Jimmy Chat Cash comes out. He is the most from coast to coast. And, <laughs> but when he comes out, after he comes out, we get a very long shot of the ECW ripoff entrance there with nothing happening. And I was like, it's so weird. <laughs> and then it like cuts back to the. I mean, and by the way, this this looks exactly like that ECW entrance because they had the bricks, the bricks and everything. You know, like the the tear through brick wall part. It's very very obvious what they're ripping off. But yeah, so like nothing happens. There's no music. We just stare at these brick entranceway for feels like forever and then finally we come back to the ring where jimmy jack cash appears to be not letting the referee check him like he's arguing with the ref and it's like not in like a i, I don't know how to describe this it, it's not it doesn't look like he's doing it in a kayfabe way like it looks no, like he's doing it in a i don't want you to touch me way it's very bizarre he seems legitimately annoyed that the referee is trying to touch him as part of the show <laughs> and it's like the match hasn't started yet and the shit's already going off the rails and then hippie dicky moon comes so out. some random music hits i'm like why is hippie dicky moon who's from woodstock by the way why is he not coming out to like some fucking beatles song like why is he coming out to a random modern rock it, song 
Yeah, it sounds like he's coming out to like pop punk, but yeah, yeah, he's supposed to like look like a guy who, you know, like he listens to like the Grateful Dead. It's so bizarre. And he's wearing the vest and he's from Woodstock and he does the the Spike Dudley acid drop. But other than that, there's nothing hippie-ish about him. Like he he skanks at one point, which is uh, not a hippie move in any way. It's it's a confused gimmick for a confused match i think you'd probably say uh, so the bell rings and hippie dicky moon stumbles around the ring like he's intoxicated uh, i guess that is kind of hippie gimmick fitting i guess, I guess he is working the gimmick okay uh, and then he does like a little roll and celebrates like he's basically he's doing like a naito opening where he's like refusing to even lock up with this man and he's continually avoiding him uh and jimmy jack cash he points at his non-existent watch and tells us he has quote no time for this right now jimmy jack cash has places to be okay he's not happy uh yeah he has an office building to not maintain but hippie he continues to aid naito's avoidance method but then he finally starts throwing some vicious drop toe holds and then a drop kick and a schoolboy. uh and then (laughs) So Jimmy takes over and starts with probably the worst, like, dominant heel, like, wrestling you'll ever see. Like, it just looks really, really bad. And earlier, now, here's where his character seems confused. Because earlier, remember, he told us he has no time for this right now. But then, he just tosses Hippie Dicky Moon down with, I don't even know what it's supposed to be, honestly, a something. And, it, it, sorry, go ahead. It's like he's doing an airplane spin, but then he just kind of throws him awkwardly it's a very very strange opening maneuver but then he pulls him up after two and yells it ain't time yet and it's like sir i thought you just told us uh (laughs) you have no time right now but now all of a sudden ain't time yet that's why he's the healed i guess he lies uh he then okay he then does another move that again i don't really know how to describe i i thought it was supposed i thought mr moon was countering him like i thought he basically turned whatever is supposed to be into like a face buster or something because he lands like on top of uh-huh. of uh jimmy jack cash with like his arm around his neck it looks like he countered into a fucking face buster but then he's the one selling and jimmy and jimmy jack cash gets up totally fine i'm like what was that even supposed to be i, I don't i legitimately <laughs> do not know it looks like he countered him but then he sells it it's a very confusing maneuver, and then he also gets up. I think this is the moment where Jimmy Jack Cash also gets up and yells to the crowd, I make Suplex City look like a small town in South, in South Dakota. Yes, I took that note, and it's you You delivered it much better than he did. Here's what he says. I make Suplex City look like a small town. Dot, 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 <laughs> while the crowd sits there not reacting. In South Dakota! And it's like, did he think he had to add that part? To, to make it funny. Because the crowd does not laugh. The crowd does not react. It's just a very awkward statement. And he's not doing suplexes, by the way. <laughs> That's the thing. I don't think there's a suplex in this match. <laughs> this uh, Also, the crowd for this. It's I, I know I was just talking earlier about how empty arena wrestling has really like, sapped the thing. This feels like an empty arena match. There's one moment where the crowd chants for uh, Hippie Dicky Moon. But they're very, very quiet for most of this thing. I will say after this, I, I think after the, the suplex thing, he does throw a suplex and it's awful. That's right. Wait, no, no, no. You are right. Yes. <laughs> so he throws one of the most awful suplexes I've ever seen in my entire life after the suplex city thing. So yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to describe what, what he's doing here or what he thinks he's doing. Messing up because... Sorry? I was... 
I was mixing up because I was like, is that before or after he does the long backbreaker into a tell him spot? But that's after. <laughs> Uh, so here's where I briefly see Dennis John walking on the outside, looking like a completely normal old man doing absolutely nothing. And once again, I'm like, because I forgot about him for a long time. And I'm like, what is this, what is the point of this? Dennis John. I'm going to remember yeah, I, that for the rest of my life because it's like, what the fuck? It's one of the weirdest managers I've ever seen. <laughs> like, it's, it's like he's like his dealer or something. Like, I don't he understand. He looks like he should be behind the fucking snack bar. I mean, that's what he... It looks like the snack bar manager got lost and ended up around the ring. Like, But yeah, it's really bizarre. Uh, so meanwhile, Jimmy Jack Cash, he gets the crowd to clap. Okay, <laughs> the, the backbreaker. He hits his backbreaker. And he has Dickie over his knee. And he starts slapping Dickie. But not in a way that looks painful. He slaps him, like, in time with the crowd to get them to clap. And it's like... Sir, why are you encouraging the crowd to clap for your opponent? He's not doing it in a sarcastic way, the way heels will sometimes do it. He's just openly trying to get the crowd to clap. It is one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen in a wrestling match. It's so weird because he's the heel, but he even sets it up by saying, he's going to need your help, you guys. You ready? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like he want like that's not, it's just and, and I, it, can't, it goes against I can't I can't I can't like yeah yeah I can't stress this enough. There is a way where that like he's gonna need your help, you guys. Ready could be sarcastic, but he sounds a hundred percent sincere. He sounds like he is concerned <laughs> for Mister Dicky Moon, and he is trying to get the crowd to cheer for him. He is basically playing the role of hippie Dicky Moon's manager. While he has him in this backbreaker. It is really, really, really bizarre. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't... It's an exceedingly strange spot. Yeah. It, and it goes on for... It's probably the most sustained spot of the entire match. Like, there's a chunk of the match devoted to this. And no one... Re- Again, there's a tiny little hippie chant. And, like, uh, his manager tries to counter it with, Jimmy, but that's it. That's, <laughs> that's the only reaction you get. <laughs> I don't know why it's making me laugh so hard, but just this old fucking man just going, Jimmy! He's not even, uh, like, invested in it. He's just kind of pointing out there's a guy in the ring named Jimmy. Jimmy! Uh, but yeah, so this hit, so, uh, you know, Jim, Mr. Cash firing the crowd up does backfire on him because Dickie throws some knees, and then it's like this kind of swinging DDT thing, which is probably the best spot of the match. I mean, it's not a good DDT, but it's probably the the best spot. Uh, it's a DDT, it's enough. Right before that, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Cash threw a back elbow that, like, maybe missed by more than any other back elbow, and he was, again, uh, Hippie Dicky Moon was right next to him at that point. He was on his knee. Like, how he missed his elbow by such a wide margin while holding this man on his knee is one of the weirdest things of the entire match. It's like, you couldn't get a little closer to his face when he is, like, you're holding him. Like, what the fuck? You should know exactly where he is in relation to your elbow. Like, sometimes wrestlers miss these fucking moves they're trying to pull up when, like, you know, the guy's really far away from them, and it's understandable. You're holding him in your arm, sir. Like, it should be very obvious where you should stop your elbow. It's very, very weird. Look, and to be Mickey Moon had only been wrestling, I think, three years at this point. Like, he's going to fuck some stuff up. But he is wrestling, again, a 15 year veteran here who should probably, you know, be looking out for this guy a little bit. Yeah. He's, you know, make this, make him not look like little shit. But 
Jimmy Jack Cash does not care about such things. He only cares about himself. Yeah. Uh, so Hippie Diggy Man. But he can't even make himself look good. No. <laughs> He's this weird black hole. But... Uh, Hippie Diggy Moon. Sorry, you like cut out. That's why I thought I should start talking. Uh, That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hippie Diggy Moon starts hitting the acid drop, which uh, which that makes sense, I guess. Uh, and then that and that too that actually actually is the best spot of the match probably the acid drop. But then uh, Jimmy Jackass says, "Forget about it." <laughs> like at least probably for the sixth time in this match, and then finally he hits this one arm power bomb for the pin. Uh, yeah, this was. This was bad. I don't know what else to say. It was really, really bad. It makes the uh, ambulance match from earlier look like a good scientific classic. I mean, I don't, I don't know what there is to say about this except it was uh, awful. <laughs> so the old man comes back in the ring to say, uh, "This is literally what he says." This guy, and then he says, "Jimmy Jack Cash." And then at first, when he wants to raise his arm, Jimmy Jackass doesn't want to let him because he's doing like a double bicep pose. And then he finally lets him raise his arm. Uh, yeah, I, awful, really bad. It's it's an incredibly strange match because I have seen Jimmy Jackass be on the receiving end of this kind of big timing before. I've seen him wrestle a, a DJ Hyde who treated him like that, <laughs> which in itself is its own. Uh, that's its own can of worms. But uh, Jimmy Jack Cash becoming like the, the conquering veteran, beating down this hippie guy. Um, it's clear like he can't do that. Him working on top is a very difficult effort for him. But also, it's just everything about this. It's one of... It's a fucking train wreck. <laughs> and it's like only like... It, it's a very short match. Without the entrances, it's maybe like eight minutes long. It's not that long. But everything that goes wrong can. Like, this feels like a trainee match. I don't know if you've ever seen the... Uh, have you ever seen Holocausto versus Shalom from IWRG? Uh, no. <laughs> I know. I think... I'm trying to think if I ever... I don't think I ever actually watched it. I know I've heard... I've I know heard, that it, it kind of had a reputation based on the name. Yeah, I, I remember what's his... Uh, yeah, I think... I, I definitely heard about it, and Kevin voted for it in the... Omakase Awards is worst match, but yeah, I don't think I ever watched it. Here's the thing: that match is two like teenage trainees fucking everything up. This Jimmy Jack Cash match has basically the same rate of success as Holocaust versus Shalom, except Jimmy Jack Cash has been doing this longer than like some of the most storied guys working right now, and he's working like a teenage trainee, and that's like unbelievable. Like he's just I. I don't know how he exists, and he's still going. He just started wrestling again. He had a tag last year, and I, he would have kept going if not for the COVID thing. So, uh, you know, and I know he refuses to work GCW because they're afraid of him, but, like, they need to, according to him, but they need to get him on some U.S. Indie. This guy, somebody needs to see Jimmy Jack Cash. Get him into a... <laughs> New Japan U.S. needs some guys, right? Let's bring him back. He, he worked at Anoki Dojo. Let's do it. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I don't know, it's something, but uh, <laughs> it's something. Uh, anyway, anything else you want to say about Mister Jack Cash? I will say we have the same initials, which is very, very weird. Like my uh, my that's... real life initials are JJC, so that's destiny. Yeah, that's... there you go. 
All right, Chris. Uh, before I get into my plugs, go ahead and give me some plugs here. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm Chris. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm at FunkySDG. I've been there for a while. and uh, I co-host the Bad Wrestling Podcast. We are at Bad Rest Podcast. We've been doing it for like a little over a year at this point. The name's that's, a bit of that's a That's all it's been, really? It feels like you guys have been around a million years by now. Maybe like a year and a half. It's we we started November of eighteen, so yeah, like a year and a half. Okay. And uh, you know, we cover bad wrestling. I mean, we at this point, I think we've like expanded the purview a little bit to like we cover bad wrestling, we cover weird characters, all that kind of stuff. Because at, at a certain point, you run out of bad wrestling shows. But uh, you know, we're doing it. We're having fun. Come join us. You might like it. You might not. I don't know. But it's it's worth a shot. And of uh, course, thanks for having me on, John. Yes, and I should. We, we never even mentioned. I, I I always mention this when Kevin's on. If it wasn't for me refusing to cover CCW New Heights or whatever the fuck it was on the show, there might have there might not be a bad wrestling podcast because I think that's that was, true. Yeah, that started because he kept asking me to do an episode with him on it, and I was like, I don't know if I want to do that, man. And then he just started his own. So you're welcome, everybody. <laughs> or or I'm sorry. I don't I don't know how to what to say. We, we, we brought it into the world here. We helped bring it into the world. Uh, but yeah, I, I enjoy the Bad Wrestling Podcast at all. And if we're, we're going to shoot here, I listen. I don't listen to every episode. depends on the topic. There's sometimes where I'm like, uh, I don't know if I want to hear this on a podcast. But the ones that you guys hit are always really, really funny. So, uh, But yeah, that's pretty much it, folks. So again, I'm, I'm not going to give the whole pitch again because I gave the very long pitch. But the vo- the uh, wrestling omakase patreon patreon.com slash wrestling omakase it's launching on monday june 1st depending on when you're listening to this and when it goes up it'll either be launching eminently or it will have already launched um you know it'll be the only place to get the two two exclusive five matches episodes uh during the month of june with alan farrell from pw torch and with rich Krage from the voice wrestling flagship uh we'll also have a ton of other content anime omakase uh, one match with the Okada Tanahashi series, you know, each match being its own little mini podcast. You know, the first of the, both of those will be up the moment you sign up on Monday. Uh, it'll be the only place to vote on the vote for the fifth match for those two episodes I mentioned, Alan and Rich. And on top of all of that, we're going to do daily tournament coverage when there's tournaments to talk about. So, patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. Please sign up. $5 a month gets you all that content. We're going to have a great time patreon.com slash wrestling omakase uh in the meantime as always you can follow us on twitter it's at wrestling omakase wrestling women fit next week it's going to be me and brandon thurston from wrestlenomics on the free uh wrestling omakase feed here uh i just you know we're we're doing that tour of the voice of wrestling podcast network and i just thought it was a kind of cool idea to have on brandon who like you know never gets to talk about like matches he likes and stuff he's always just like you know the numbers guy basically so <laughs> i thought it'd be cool to have him in a totally different environment where he's just going to talk about you know some wrestling matches he liked and you know we got some uh it's a lot of old school puro next week that's that's what we got on the on tap so you'll you'll see what i mean it's like one one sort of modern new japan match that's early on or, or very early in the modern era and then like a bunch of other like uh late 90s early 2000s uh japanese wrestling so That'll be what we'll be covering next week. Uh, you know, look out for the fan poll so you can vote on the fifth match. And as always, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.